Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. Probably the best podcast. They're all saying it's the best podcast. I know a lot of people saying it's the best podcast. Uh, this is episode 118 of the alternative music podcast. I'm Stephen Hill. He is Renfrey Deadman. Hello, Hello Renfrey. Hello. Um, actually, not such a bad guy when you get to know him. Um, <laughs> uh, we can confirm as we start the podcast, uh, what will it be in the US election? Um, congratulations, Renfrey. Both you and I have taken Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well done, uh, us. Yeah, we went in and we stormed the gates and uh, we've uh, pronounced it a riot act state. Can we yeah. do that? Count those votes, not those ones. <laughs> those ones. No, don't count those. Count the other ones. What a fucking mess. What a palaver. God. Yeah. What yeah, a yeah, bloody yeah. palaver. What a palaver. Uh, shout out to our American friends who are probably fucking petrified right now. Just like we all are. <laughs> fucking petrified. Yeah. Yeah, um, silly. Um, not that we, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Well, that is And true. people in equally shit countries shouldn't take the piss out of uh, <laughs> that is true, stupid, rage, no, political rage. I not the piss. I feel very, very sorry for my American friends, as I say. But, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of a... Anyway, a bit of politics there, just bit to of start politics. us off. Um, on the show this week, we're going to be reviewing the latest albums from Soul Sophia, Oliver Arnold's, Venart, Bitch Falcon... I'm doing it on the Wang Renfries <laughs> <laughs> Mountain Caller and this be the verse. Um, before we go any further, thanks, Signature Brew. In a world where we here in the UK have suddenly locked down and you can't go outside, mm-hmm. I would suggest that one of your first ports of call while you're sitting at home doing whatever you choose to do in the comfort of your own home during this lockdown period um, is to go over to signaturebrew.co.uk and order yourself some lovely drinks. What better to do than sit at home and get drunk? Drinking to oblivion. <laughs> in, in these dark, dark times. Is that a good advert? Oh, I don't know. Um, drink responsibly. Uh, yes, I absolutely agreed. Um, mm. I've been getting through a couple more of my beers that were sent in my pub in a box, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, yeah. Which beers did you want to talk about this week? Steve, well, I, I saw one of the things I think is quite good, and obviously, as I said, signaturebrew.co.uk, um, as we mention every week, been brewing music related beers oh, yeah. since 2011 up in East London. Mm. Um, they have a little venue, unfortunately, due to the restrictions, um, you know, they have been putting gigs on, which is cool. Um, that's sort of had to be put on hold for the moment, which is a bit of a bummer, but I'm not going to focus on the negatives. Well, um, but we should say, if you do want to help out our friends who have at Signature Brew, who have been doing more than many, many, many people in this mm-hmm. industry to try and kickstart live music again in this country, in the UK, then, um, you know, buying a pub in a box or something like that or uh, yeah. from them would be fantastic at this particular time. So they've got something which I've just seen called the lineup on their website. It's our four core beers. There are no support acts here. Just the headliner after headliner. Um, so they're four top multi-award winning beers. Um, for a tenner, you can get a four pack with each one. So you can just try it out. I mean, if you're thinking like, yeah, I don't know that I need a whole pub. If that's what you've been thinking, that's why, you know, you haven't ordered one. Maybe just try try four. You've got the roadie all night IPA, 4.3%. Studio Lager, 4%. Mm-hmm. Backstage so. IPA, which is very nice, 5.6%. Oh, yeah. And I know you like this one, Renfrey, the Nightline Coffee Porter, which is a 5.7% um, 
sort of coffee, dark chocolate tonality yeah. combo. So I had a Nightliner um, whilst watching one of the streams that we're going to review this week. And um, it is, I mean, for starters, it is black uh, as as night. Black as night. <laughs> yes. um, and yeah, uh, it absolutely does taste like uh, coffee with a dark chocolatey kind of hinty aroma about it as well. It was very, very nice. Um, mm. I enjoyed it immensely. And 5.7%. Lovely stuff. Very heavy beer. <laughs> Ooh, yum, yum, yum. Good. good. Um, so yeah, that's, I, that's I 10 pounds. I pour it on my cornflakes now, the night porter. Do you? The night liner. Yeah. So, yeah. What did you pour on your Rice Krispies? <laughs> Backstage IPA. Oh, good. And um, vodka. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What a horrible, horrible image yeah. that my, is. My you lockdown's sitting, going great. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in your dressing gown. No, just like a really old pair of pants. Um, uh, I'm done slightly with holes in. <laughs> sitting there, doubled over uh, with a bowl of Rice Krispies yeah. covered in beer and vodka, yeah. scuffling away. That's, that's, you, you've painted the scene perfectly. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Good. Um, yeah, so £10 for those four beers if you want to try them out. Um, and also, I say £10, you get 10% off. What? If you put the code RIAACT, or one word, in the checkout when you go to signaturebrew.co.uk. Um, they've done loads of different beers before with people like Idols and Slaves, Sports Team, Mogwai, Frank Turner, Ent Shikari, Jamie Lenman, and more. Um, so thanks very much to those guys. We love you. Can we say that this many weeks in? I think I think we can say we love them. We'll love them more once they send us those uh, polyphonic peaches. I'm oh, just saying, lads. But yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> always on the blag. Uh, <laughs> Renfrey on the blag. Um, this week on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast, we did a classic album series podcast on Beastie Boys Ill Communication. Uh, we were joined by our good friend Matt Hughes from Good mm. as Gold PR. Mm. And Matt is a massive, massive Beastie Boys fan. I'm a massive Beastie Boys fan. I got to kind of um, express that on on a broadcastable thing for the first time pretty much ever, I think. And you, Renfrey, even you, uh, as someone who previously was sort of, what's the word? Um, ho-hum about the Beastie Boys. Yeah, you I was ho-hum. now are a yeah. full-blown fan. Well, I certainly of that era, of Beastie Boys, I've really discovered. Um, I think particularly "Check Your Head," uh, "Ill Communication," which is the album we covered, mm-hmm. and um, "Hello Nasty." I think those three records I find really genuinely f- fascinating and really interesting and really varied and um, yeah, great. Just re- really, really fun, you know. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> people i think people seem to assume sometimes that we don't like fun music just because we don't like Corey taylor well if i want to listen to something or Elstorm. F- or Elstorm, yeah if i want to listen to something fun i also want it to be good uh and what? beastie boys <laughs> eh? surely just the fun's <laughs> enough isn't it yeah for some and um yeah and beastie boys fit you know th- but this is the thing isn't it like things being fun and good aren't mutually exclusive. And I think people who uh, like that, because that's always seen as like, oh, I am embarrassed about it, but it's just a bit of fun. It's just a bit of fun. It's like, you know full well it's shit. You're just making excuses. Stop it. Yeah, or you're getting paid money to pretend that you like it. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Okay, here's a news thing before we get into the streams that we we're going to talk about. Um, oh, yes, I should say five five pounds a month, two classic albums, and um, that's on patreon.com forward slash right act podcast plus the writers reviews, which unfortunately we haven't had a writers review go up this week. It's been quite a savagely busy week in for many reasons, not just part of, as part of this podcast, mm. but also outside of it as well. So we will try and give you something really good. But the, 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 the Mr. Bungle one was like a double rioters review yeah really, anyway, yeah, yeah. Like... M- massive apologies for the rioters review i mean they do work out at 25p each uh if anyone's absolutely furious about it i will give you the 25p myself um but yeah we'll we'll be back on that next week we're doing bjork next aren't we we're doing for bjork. review yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for classic albums um by popular demand because it's locked down again in the uk we're bringing doubles back um and i'm going to be doing pixies surfer rosa and do little and that'll be coming out uh monday week Excellent. So there you go. Uh, go over and sign up if you so wish. Um, Spotify has announced... Oh, I wonder what you think about this, Renfrey. I have just thrown this in. I'm going to throw this out. I don't know if you've seen this, but mm. I'm going to chuck this at you kind of um, yeah, I know what you're uh, li- live, basically. Mm. Spotify has announced a new feature for artists and labels seeking to excrease, increase, excrease, increase exposure. Um, they released uh, a press release on November the 2nd. Um, unveiling a new function that will allow creators at all levels to boost their visibility through Spotify's algorithmic algorithmic music selector that the app defaults onto the radio and autoplay functions. Uh, the statement says, in this new experiment, artists and labels can identify music that's a priority for them, and our system will add that signal to the algorithm, and that determines personalised listening sessions. This allows our algorithms to account for what's important to the artists. And here's the real kicker um spotify notes that the feature won't require any immediate upfront costs it will be available in exchange for lowered royalty payments lowered royalty payments they say labels or rights holders agree to be paid a promotional recording royalty rate for streams in personalized listening sessions where we provide this service for the furthermore the press release adds that artists accepting these new terms won't guarantee placement to labels or artists um because spotify don't pay their artists enough as it is yeah as if what they, they should do low enough. is is lower it a little bit more for a little bit of grubby little ah. Oh, well, I, I, I really hate this. This is disgusting. It's sort of like the same. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. I kind of was when I heard this news. Um, it's like, if you remember the Halicon days of uh, Halicon, 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 I'm not helping you out with that word, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, Halicon. If you remember the good days of Facebook, um, they used to, you used to be able <laughs> no, to... No, not really. <laughs> but, you, you know, you used to be able to like put a, a band page on there or a page which was promoting something. And, you know, it would go to all of your followers. It would go to all the people who had liked the page. Now it's much, much, much more difficult to get yourself out there because Facebook introduced this algorithm, which effectively means that you have to pay them to promote your pages this is exactly the same thing it's a business model to try and get spotify to make more money it's not helping out artists in the slightest the fact that they have um tried to sell it as something that is helping out artists is pretty fucking disgusting really um i mean there's an argument to i mean i don't really know what's going to happen as a result like are you're effectively it's effectively a way of paying for promotion 
you know. Um, but I, I suppose you pay for promo in all sorts of ways, but then there's no guarantee of you getting any kind of promotion. It just seems like another way to sucker money out of artists who are pr- getting pretty fucked over as it is. I mean, most of the bands that we talk about on this show cannot make a living from music alone. Nope. Um, and it's just it's just another way to to pinch from creative people who are making the product that Spotify. I don't like to call it a product, but the the thing that Spotify are trying to sell in the first place. And if if those people didn't exist, Spotify wouldn't exist. And yet Spotify continues to treat them like a piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely parasitical behaviour. Yeah. Um, the I, I mean, I pay for my monthly i believe you don't pay a monthly spotify no 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 see i do i pay for spotify and apple music for some reason but i'm now thinking i might bin off spotify because it's just such cunts i've seen Um, i've seen a lot of people say that actually and i think moves like this are really going to turn people off spotify and there's been i mean i've been banging on about how i think spotify are absolute reprehensible cunts for ages um but uh, not everyone who works for the company, mainly the people at the top. And um, I think they're getting so much bad press for these kind of things. And and it, it feels like even casual um, music listeners are beginning to understand that Spotify in the main equals bad, <laughs> you know, mm. um, and they they don't have the interests of uh, artists at heart, even if they do say they do. I mean, it's interesting. It it is a really complicated issue. And I mean, I've just really massively oversimplified it by saying Spotify equals bad. It's not as simple as that. But tactics like this really do not help their cause at all Um, because it's money grubbing. And I, I don't think it's going to... I mean, if you have, let's say you've got a thousand artists who sign up for this promotion, they can't promote all of them. There's only a limited amount of space that they can do that with anyway. So it's just going to cancel each other out, I would have thought. It's just And my fear would be as well is that the people who go, fuck off, I'm not paying for that, mm. would just be buried, would be deliberately yeah. buried. Yeah. It will get to the point where you will just have to accept that to mm-hmm. even be able to be seen by anyone at any point at all. And that is not that is not the purpose of Spotify. You, you know, I don't well, maybe the purpose of Spotify isn't to bring people music maybe it is just to make money and to you know leech off of people's artistic output that might be what they what they think um but this surely should be a, a platform where you go our job is to give people as much music and promote as much music and allow as much music to be heard as as is possible mm. and even when you take the royalties situation out of that, this flies in the face of that as an ideology. And it's absolute bullshit. Yeah. Just absolute bullshit. And um, yeah, uh, I just well, thought I'd bring it up to it's, go. It's interesting. A lot of artists are starting to go, I'm not going to use Spotify anymore. Um, Venar, um, who's releasing an album this week that we're reviewing, uh, his new album will not be up on Spotify um and that's starting quite low down like you know the big artists are still obviously all about spotify but you know um 
there's a lot there's a and and there's one thing that has been wonderful about this year is um bandcamp has got so much more presence in uh in in people's consciousnesses and bandcamp is a is a system that i've loved for absolutely years you know and the fact that more people are learning about bandcamp and the the bandcamp have proved that people are quite happy to pay for music you know people people will do it um if they know that their money is going straight to the artist and with Bandcamp the majority of the time well it, it a, a massive portion of it always does um but then obviously they have these Bandcamp Fridays I believe this podcast is being released on a Bandcamp Friday as a matter of fact um where 100% goes to the artists you know and I mean Spotify wouldn't do anything like that in a billion years I don't think not in a million no. years and just the nope. way the way that Bandcamp operate and the way that Spotify operate I mean they're completely different companies really in so many mm. ways uh it's been a pretty big week for the live streaming stuff now me, we yeah. don't do we do loads of reviews on live streams but um we've seen some pretty big ones this week so I think it's probably worth us bringing them up you saw last Friday the Bronx and Pussifer on the same day yes um Let's talk about the Bronx first, because the Bronx, um, I mean, I think everyone knows, uh, certainly most people listening to this podcast will know that they're an incendiary live act, very combustible when you see them live. Um, but there's a massive, a massive part of the Bronx show is that connection with the audience, I think. So there was a, I wasn't too concerned, to be totally honest, because it's the Bronx and the Bronx never let me down personally. I don't think ever on record or or live for me personally. Um, but there was a little bit of thought as to kind of like, will they will this translate well as a live stream? Um, yes, is the answer. Uh, obviously, you're never going to recreate the same experience, yada, yada. But the stuff that the Bronx did to um, keep our interest going for the whole 50 minute stream um really really helped in their flavor 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 so um it was uh 15 songs 50 minutes it was the bronx and mariachi l bronx and they actually um played nine bronx songs and Mm -hmm. six mariachi l bronx songs one thing i really liked about this show is um they mixed up those songs. So there'd be like three Bronx songs, then two Mariachi L Bronx songs, then another couple of Bronx songs, then a couple of Mariachi L Bronx songs. So a lot of the time, they, so for example, The Unholy Hand and Around the Horn. Wicked, wicked. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant songs featured um, the additional Mariachi players as well. So there was, you know, like more horns and violin and like percussive accoutrements on those songs, which was just cool to see. They also um, did very simple kind of tricks to keep the show interesting throughout. So the um, it was lensed in a very kind of um, intimate fashion in their practice space rather than a, a sort of stated usual stage setup. And they were indoors for part of the show and then they were outdoors for part of the show with this massive like 12 foot skeleton leering over them because it was a Halloween show. And they did all these cool like camera trickery things. There was this wonderful moment during um, Right Between the Eyes, uh, which is one of the Mariachi El Bronx songs where they had a succession of multiple quick camera cuts. And then suddenly it goes back to their faces and they're wearing ghoulish makeup. And it was nice. a very, very kind of like hammer horror, old school style kind of quick cut thing. 
Um, but it looked great. And, and doing, having just little moments like that pop up every so often, you know, they dress up in skeleton outfits for one part of it and stuff like that. It just kept your interest throughout because, you know, really when you're watching the Bronx, you want to be covered in sweat, maybe have a beer in your hand, going absolutely crazy, shouting in Matt's face, you know. Um, and obviously you can't quite recreate that when you're sitting on your sofa and watching it. Uh, although mm. I did try. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, But so I think it's important to have those little things in there that keep your interest. And I thought the Bronx did that really beautifully. Um, brilliant set, Knife Man, Heart Attack American. Amazing. Uh, unholy Hands. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Really, really Great. good. From, yeah, from I didn't even know that was happening, but like always loved it like it's just such a what a fucking great band i don't even think about they want to i don't even think about the bronx that much because they're so good that you almost they just you don't even remember how good they're that good that you kind of go oh yeah the bronx they're absolutely incredibly brilliant but they're just so sort of they're just there aren't they they're just there and they're just sort of um universally very kind of easy going just we're here and we're a band and we occasionally put out records and there's no sort of fuss or hype around them they're just excellent i'm pretty sure i said this on the show before but like i think i think they are the best punk band of the 21st century like i i can't think of a better one than the bronx like they're incredibly consistent they've never disappointed me live i know you have issues around the bronx four but you do seem yeah it's to not be, the best you seem to be the only one i think the bronx four is fucking amazing personally uh, the first i mean the first track like you mentioned the unholy hand which is mm. amazing yeah um it's not a bad record i just think it's not as good as the other ones i mean uh, to be totally honest with you five is my least favorite um but I remember um, we we both saw them at the Black Heart, didn't we? Which was absolutely yeah. incredible. And they played five yeah. and full. And I wasn't disappointed that they were going to play five and full. But I was like, oh, it's my least favourite record. But seeing all of those songs live at that show just made me fucking love it. And, you know, yeah, whilst, it is my, whilst it is my least favourite Bronx album, it's still a solid eight out of ten. You know, there's For an sure. amazing version of... Um, if you want to see what amazing songwriters Bronx are, there's an amazing acoustic version of Side Effects from that record uh, on oh. YouTube. Um, I think it was put up by Pace magazine. And I reviewed the show for um, Metal Hammer. And just as I was like doing research bits and pieces for it, I came across it and I was just like, God damn, they are such brilliant songwriters. And if you want to get an idea of like why they're so good, if you AB that acoustic version with the... Um, proper quote-unquote version it just gives you a brilliant idea of why they're so brilliant do you want me to move on to Lucifer? yeah yeah mate go on i i know a little bit about this but um we were pretty like i, I was gonna say lukewarm about the album i think we both quite liked it but just know that they are the people involved are capable of mm. better mm. It was, a, it was an it was an interesting one so Lucifer, this was um a kind of live stream that was played out in the desert uh aaron scotty i think it's called i'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly um and it was a i was we talked last week about how pucifer put on this amazing live show and have all these additional characters and so on and so forth 
And I had quite high expectations for what this was going to be because I thought it's going to be something quite different and unique and interesting. And, you know, an idea of a, a gig in the desert, that sounded really, really cool to me. And it was good. But I think, I think yet again, um, it, my, feel, my feelings with the album of like I being really excited about the record and then hearing it and being like, I like it but I don't love it. And I thought this stream was good. Um, the, how can I describe the setup? They they had sort of four panels of LED uh, lights in a sort of cross formation. And then there were platforms that Karina and Maynard were on and they could, you know, they, they move things around quite a bit and it had a that sort of men in black kind of alien-y type feel to it a little bit. And with the LED lights, you can put, like messages up on the screen and stuff like that and there was a little bit of that there was some beautiful lighting and so on and so forth and giving it the desert putting it out in the middle of the desert was a very very cool thing to do you don't really even notice it's out in the middle of the desert until as until the stream goes on though because it starts out in total darkness and then as the stream continued, by the time they got to the last song of the record, um, Bathelmain, Bathelmain, something like that, uh, the sun comes is coming up in the desert and you and that's when it really becomes quite beautiful. And in that sense, it actually echoes the record quite a lot. If you remember our review last week, we said that the reviews, the, the album starts quite slow and gets better as it goes on. Mm. Um, they did the album in full and I definitely think that that that's how I kind of felt about this stream. It started and I was a little bit like, yeah, okay, this is cool. And as it went on, I really, really got into it. Um, and and certainly I think, I mean, I've noticed bits from those songs, um, which are far, far better than I gave them credit for. Uh, and that's the really nice thing about seeing stuff live. You know, you can understand the songs a little bit better. So for example, Bullet Train to Iowa is a song which didn't particularly stand out to me when reviewing the record last week. But, you know, seeing like how they put it together and stuff um, re really made me love that song. We pointed out uh, that A Singularity, Postulus and Faker Front were the, the sort of the triple header of the record, which is the most impressive. And live, that definitely came, like that was the point of the set where I was like, yes, this is really good. I'd say those last four songs, it's Bedlamite was the song that I was trying to... Um, uh, think of earlier and when you see the sun finally come up on this beautiful set I mean it is quite an extraordinary thing to witness and see you know it's relatively lengthy uh, at 70 minutes long I think my I, I I thought it was good I think what I slightly um was slightly disappointed by is it, it didn't quite have the showmanship and pizzazz that I was expecting from a Pusifer show and um, obviously you know I, I very fortunately managed to get a stream to see this for free but it was $26 which is you know I, there, there, I, I actually think that we're going to talk about some live streams in a second which have really taken the idea of live streams and i think there are some artists who are really figuring out the best way to do this and i don't think it is trying to just recreate the concert experience live um i think the best thing to do is to do something that you cannot do in a live room 
like Biffy Clyro have done, like we're going to talk about Code Orange in a minute. It's almost like making a feature length music video. I think that's almost the best approach to use with these live streams. And it does seem quite likely that live streams aren't going to go away, even when the world does correct itself, whenever the fuck that's going to be. But I think there's a bit of a worrying trend that if they're going to be that much, I mean, that's quite a lot of money to spend on something. I mean, I would, I would expect if I was paying that, I'd expect to at least be able to keep it in some way, even if it was a digital download or, I mean, I, I would want a physical product for that amount of money to be totally honest and there was quite a few things that they needed to put together in order you know i'm sure there's quite a bit of production involved um but probably no more than stuff we're going to talk about in a bit um and i just thought i mean 26 dollars is a little bit of a worrying precedent to to it's one of the most expensive streams I've heard of. I think that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's the most I've heard for, for anyone. I think. I think. Well, the Corey Taylor one was a similar price. Um, <laughs> really? Mm, wow. Mm, yeah, um, uh, I've just done a quick conversion. I mean, twenty six dollars is basically twenty quid. Um. Yeah, it just seemed. It seemed a bit. If I had paid for it, which obviously I hadn't, but if I had paid for it. I would have felt a little bit shortchanged by what I saw, if I'm totally honest. If I had been there, then I would have happily paid forty, fifty dollars, quid, whatever, for it. And if I had like been there in the desert, oh man, it would have been incredible. But but I wasn't. So yeah. you know, and I, was I it, that was just it worries live, me. Live, live as well, because no. I imagine the Bronx was live, live. See, this is this is no, I no. got a real fucking bugbear about this shit. I mean, I know we've spoken about this before. I got a real bugbear about, I mean, I talk about the other two in a minute and there's one that I'm like, well, that could have been live. And there's one that I'm like, well, that definitely couldn't have been live. Mm. Uh, so, and I accept that. Like I look at the, you know, like the Bronx, I don't know if the Bronx did it live or- The Bronx, if, the Bronx but, didn't do it live. No, no, no. You know, fucking hell, it's mental. Because I know that like Trivium, for example, did, I didn't watch it the, this one, but I watched the Trivium um, Deep Cuts live set mm. that they did- live on their youtube channel and that was actually live and i was like there's something about i mean if you're gonna make and you know that was free to to give them their dues like that was free to whoever wants to watch it at that point mm. and it was basically just you know you watching them go through the in their rehearsal room go through like a sort of practice set really so mm. they it's not like they could have really charged people that much for it but i did appreciate the fact that i'm like oh this is happening right now and mm. if i say something on the thing they might see it mm. but this whole like you've got the thing next to you where you did it and if you're not really making an effort for it to be like like you say something that you couldn't do live at another point i would rather you actually you know if it's like it's, you've got to pay this money for it because it's happening there and then in the moment like a gig mm. and then it's gone forever mm. and i don't know it just feels like there's there's this kind of half-assed medium that a lot of bands are going through at the moment that well, i i i don't really appreciate to we, be honest we've discussed this point before and um i disagreed with you on this before and i actually even more strongly adamantly disagree with you on it now because what i was saying about i think bands and artists are discovering what they can do with the live stream medium you know 
uh, because I think that this is going to be something that continues, whether people want it to or not, because it is making, you know, it is being a very successful money making um, uh, thing for bands. But I think as that thing that I said about rather than trying to create a live music experience, which you're never, ever, ever going to be able to do, what I think you should do is do something that is more music video like, but uh, as as a concert you know yeah but that's that's fine but i think that there's this kind of this half arson in the middle where you go well we'll just sort of play live but we'll re- record it beforehand so that you know it's up and we've got it all done and stuff biffy clyro you would be that would have been a hell of a challenge yes. we'll talk about code orange in, in a moment which would have been impossible. i think literally literally impossible to have yeah. done that live live um but then something like I mean, Mr. Bungle clearly weren't playing live and I'll, I'll sort of explain why in a minute. But I did look at it and I was like, you could have been doing this there and then. Um, well, just to, to to be fair to both Pussifer and the Bronx, in order to, to do some of the things that they were doing, there's no way it could have been live. I mean, the Bronx, for example, that camera angle change thing and then suddenly they have ghoulish makeup on. The only way yeah. to do that is with camera trickery and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, you know, and I think it's those things that, um make the live stream medium what it is you know that's what that's what differentiates them from either just sitting down and watching a live show or being there live you know Mm. um but like no effects no effects for example being the one that we talked about and i was like well why have you pre-recorded this right yeah 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 why yeah why don't you just do it live because you're not doing anything apart from playing your songs live you might as well just do it live. I, I'm starting to think that, I mean, probably as time goes on, I'm not sure about, like, I think the Bronx did a really good job considering, but I'm not sure like a, a, a band like the Bronx, the live stream is their uh, preferred medium. They want to get up close and personal with people. And I imagine that those kind of bands are doing this at the moment because there isn't any other option. But I think that the live streams should be put aside for bands who have a sort of um, theatrical element or a visual element to what they do. I mean, I'd be really curious if I'd be really it'd be really interesting to see if Iron Maiden got like a young technical wizard in to kind of direct a show for them where they could actually like have decent effects rather than the... 80s kitsch bollocks that they normally have i think that could be a some a really interesting way to propulse iron maiden uh to into a new kind of audience out of 1987 yeah. <laughs> well yeah i mean and and I'm, I'm saying that you know i'm saying that as as a fan of maiden but you know um i think that could genuinely be really interesting or judas priest it'd be really interesting to see what someone could do with judas priest but i it 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 demands thinking outside of the box or inside of the box as we're going to talk about later. Um, you know, and it's the streams like, I mean, the gold standards for me are Biffy Clyro and Behemoth and one we're going to talk about in a minute, you know, so, and, and it's, it's the ones that are showing the most creative kind of, um, ideas and, and a lot of the time you can't do that stuff live. And provided you're doing something creative and interesting with it, that's fine as far as I'm concerned. I, the, the, it's still a live stream to me as far as I'm concerned because they are performing live. 
you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I just think that, yeah, well, I've sort of said this before. Like, mm. if you are, I mean, I think there's a difference between being behemoth and Code Orange and going, let's put on a production which yeah. goes all over the place and doing what Mr. Bungle did, for example. So Mr. Bungle, I saw the next night, um, Code Orange and Mr. Bungle, an hour apart from each other, perfect on uh, Halloween. It was almost like being at a festival, waiting for the the next band to come on and getting in it. So I had the countdown for Code Orange going on whilst I was watching Bungle. Um, now, it was good. So basically, they were playing in a library. Um, in a library? In, in a library, yeah. Shh. Yeah, and they started with them all sitting there reading books in this library or sat on stools. And the first song they did was the Won't You Be My Neighbour, Mr. Rogers theme tune. Do you know Mr. Rogers? Yes. Uh, there's been a film, you might have seen the film Welcome to My Neighbourhood. Um, I think that's what it's called, with, with Tom Hanks playing <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah. the the title character, which is a really, really good film, by the way. Um, I think that was the last thing I saw at cinema before all this happened. All right, okay. Yeah, it's a good film. Uh, anyways, but, you know, that kind of, won't you be, won't you be my neighbour? Uh, Mike Patton doing that and occasionally bungling it up a little bit, right. making it a bit weird uh, and shouty um, was was a really cool way to start. And he was wearing like a red um, cardigan, like Mr. And then he took it off and they went into anarchy up Uranus and raping your mind back <laughs> to back, which is like as different from <laughs> Mr. Rogers as you can possibly imagine. And... Um, <laughs> And the thing about it, the thing about it was is that, you know they sounded great and that that um, the surrounding it being in a library was was really funny and it's probably one of the funnier live stream things that I've seen because there was a lot of like talking to a crowd that wasn't there and reacting to a crowd that wasn't there and in between when they'd stop it would cut sometimes to this sofa which had one person sitting on it who would like clap or say something so um it was the first guy was one of the guys from it's always sunny in philadelphia uh then it was henry rollins um right. king buzzo uh from the melvins king buzzo just stood it cut to him and he was stood with his back to them and he didn't do anything it just cut it cut and it was his, just king buzzo's back and he did nothing um and uh josh hom uh was there as well he did a little bit and a few other people who i I don't know who some of them were. I think some of them might have been American comedians. But um, but it was really funny. And at the end, they got up and they did a bow. And they were like, yeah, do you want more? Do you want another encore? Who wants an encore? Oh, there's no one here. And then so they just walked. They went like, went, we encore, come on, one more song, one more song. And they were all going, come on, to like no one. Mm -hmm. And because obviously no one asked for an encore, uh, they just went. <laughs> right. It's quite funny. Right. So it's quite funny. And, you know, shit, like they did... Um, they did Hella Waits into Summer Breeze, uh, which was pretty good as well. Um, they ended with a... They actually did come on for an encore in the end, and they did um, they they did Tora Tora and Loss of Control by Van Halen. Right. Uh, as as the, on, as the, the encore. Um, they did Lost for Words by Creation Conformity as well. Speaking Should Die, Word Up My Ass by Circle Jerks, um, all interspersed with, you know, the material from The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny. And it was good. I mean, like I say, it was just them sort of standing there. And I do think, like, would I have forsaken seeing Henry Rollins reading a book and having headphones in and then looking up and taking his ears out and going, oh, yeah, it sounds great, guys. Sounds really great. And Mike Patton doing a sort of like finger uh, sort of buddy Christ pointing at him going, thanks Henry. And then carrying on like, it's a nice little extra for the, for the thing. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's the, it's the most amusing 
um, stream thing I've seen. But again, I was like, you could have probably done this live. I guess mm. if you wanted to have Josh Homme and Henry Rollins there in the same room mm. and it mm. cut to them live, that would have been a little bit more difficult. But it's like, you, you they were just playing live and they looked like they would be good live bungle. So you you're saying I mean? they weren't putting on a show, quote unquote. It's not much of a show. Like I mean, I think this is the thing. If you're just going to turn up and play your music on a stage um with a little bit of production behind you like you would do a live gig i almost think it would be it, it would it would create a more interesting frisson of anticipation if you were actually there doing it live yeah and if you're just going to play your songs just film it live just stream it live mm, mm. fuck it why wouldn't why wouldn't you i don't you know i think that would make it that would just give it a little bit more of a you know but then if you are doing something like what we're about to talk about with code orange mm. i understand why that has to be pieced together yeah and it's probably better for it because like you say you can't really create the live live experience but if all you're going to do is play live then just get try and get as close to recreating you playing live if that's all you're going to do then do that that's just what i think i i i i, I understand what you're saying i don't think going into the future with live streams bands should i think bands should have more ambition than that yeah uh, me too me too more. but if they don't then do it like like it's for me it's one or the other if you're just going to play live in front of a couple with, with three if you're gonna have three cameras and your backdrop behind you and you're going to play your songs live and that's it do it actually do it live and look at what people are saying on the comments and stuff and go somebody just said that and then people and then at least if you're sitting there you're going okay this is actually happening in yeah. the moment as i watch but if you're not and you're going to create like you say some sort of mad music video or loads and loads of production mm. and costume changes and you want things to flick in between in and out and then yes i understand why you have to craft that and create it and you know and, and do it beforehand there are certain people that don't need to do that and there are certain people that should either do it live or just not do it i think i no think effects for example like yeah what is the what is the i hate to brag on nerfx all the time but why are nerfx not playing live mm. i think i think uh, uh, during this time where we can't go out and see live music i think it's fine i think in the future because these things are going to continue i don't think i don't think even a band actually playing live as part of a live stream i don't think that's going to cut it personally no no and the reason why i'm so sort of adamant of that is because code orange isn't it yeah um back inside the glass was came straight afterwards and having watched bungle and and you know and really enjoyed it i thought this is really really good and i you know i think that's a good a great thrash album mike Patton on stage is always excellent um but the leap between what bungle did and what code orange did yeah it's just it's just ridiculous i think absolutely ridiculous i know that like a lot of people get really fucking tired of hearing about code orange all the time and don't really get it the reason why we wang on and on and on about this band is the creativity that is on display and what they managed to do with so little you know pucifer i would imagine i'm guessing have access to much more things and a much bigger budget than code orange unquestionably do. yeah unquestionably so the trivia i mean i was quite nice you know well i was more than quite i was nice about the trivium stream yeah. when they did the, that one and which i thought was great um i was i've just been nice about but you know, i wouldn't even imagine mr bungle have mm. well do they i'm not sure um but 
certainly you wouldn't look at Code Orange and go, oh, they must have loads and loads of money no. in the same way as Corey Taylor or Behemoth or Biffy Clyro or, do you know what I mean? Any of those bands. No. I think probably even Fever 333 mm. will probably have a bigger budget to put something on than Code Orange. And again, like... Uh, who knows? I mean, they're but, on the same label, aren't they? Effectively. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, even if they have the same... Even if they have the same budget, mm, mm. I mean, Fever Three Three Three. The comparison between this and that Fever Three Three Three. I mean, Fever Three again. I, I'm not. Don't want to rag on them all the time, but they were. If you're comparing them, they, they took a real bum slap in mm. after watching the Code Orange stream, which was just unbelievable. But this is this is the key thing. And again, I'm going to use my favourite word of the moment. You know, this is the key thing. Why objectively they are better than those bands it's because you see what they do with that same you know what is probably the same budget and it's so much more creative and it's so much more interesting because there's actual ideas there you know um i remember discussing um years ago not to, not to rag on another band i like to rag on but when we saw architects at wembley me saying just how unimaginative unimaginative and uncreative their show was Mm. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. And it's be it's because Code Orange are in that tradition of, you know, typo negative and nine inch nails and stuff like that, where they do bring ideas to the plate. You might not like all of those ideas, but it is something that is really vivid and visceral and genuinely interesting. And it's also, um, it feels dangerous. Um, we have talked about this before, but like there aren't many heavy acts like in the metal world or in the rock world who feel genuinely dangerous anymore a lot of you know a lot of um the younger generation are going to things like grime uh and uh more hip-hop acts and stuff like that because those things feel dangerous and rebellious but you know these days slipknot don't feel dangerous or rebellious they feel I mean, we both really liked that last Slipknot album, but it doesn't feel dangerous, does it? They're kind of cuddly by comparison, aren't they? They're incredibly cuddly by comparison. I think yeah. watching this stream reminded me of the feelings that I had when I was 14 listening to the first Slipknot record. You know, that feeling and, and of like, holy shit, this is genuinely subversive and dangerous and gnarly, like properly gnarly. And it, it draws from, again, like I said, from the record, this draws from an era of metal. Type of negative is a great shout. They covered, uh, did a quick bit of blast of a new level by Pantera. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, they covered Alice in Chains on the last um, stream that they did. Machine Head and Fear Factory and Sepultura and all of those bands. Like, there's a distinct feeling of that era of music about code orange but also like you say i don't think i've heard i mean i've 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 heard all the criticisms of code orange and they just strike me as people who just listen to metal i don't think you can listen to code orange again like i say it a lot but i don't think you can listen to code orange as someone who just listens to metal and go, well, that's Marilyn Manson. Because no, it isn't Marilyn Manson. No. It's got nothing to do with Slipknot. It's got nothing to do with Marilyn Manson. Nothing. Literally nothing. I don't think there's anything to do with fucking Marilyn I did see someone on Facebook was like, oh, they just sound like Marilyn Manson. It's like, they don't sound anything like Marilyn Manson. I don't, think they've, I don't even think they're fucking, 
like even probably don't even listen to Marilyn Manson. Mm. I'd, I'd be surprised if half the members of of, of um, Code Orange have, have even heard more than about two Marilyn Manson albums. I just don't mm. think that is even on their fucking radar. Yeah. In the same way as I think the person saying that don't have injury reserve or um, clipping or those sort of things on on, on their, their radar, radar yeah. either. Um, who and you know I, the. The electronic music that they listen to, the type of artists who you see them. I mean, I've got to say that in the warm up, um, they had Jesus Peace, who were great. I thought the Jesus Peace was great. And Year of the Knife, I thought Year of the Knife were pretty good as well. And um, okay. that's it, Machine Girl. And like those three, but you've got two hardcore bands, but you've got Machine Girl, who is this really weird sort of solo artist with all sort of shoegazy electro kind of sleazy grunge weird and and no other metal bands think about taking bands out like that and when you had the sort of the the mud tv thing beforehand again like backwash was on that and they played a black a backwash video and code orange are kind of they're aligning themselves with with those sort of artists and they have more in common with those artists than they do with well even slipknot now who oh, yeah. were the most dangerous but they got more in co- there's not really any of those bands I mean they're even, you know I, I thought Jesus Peace were really good hmm. but I looked at Jesus Peace and I was like well Code Orange have actually got more in common with Clipping than they have with Jesus Peace and they've come from the same ideology the same scene the same style of music they're probably inspired by the same stuff but what Code Orange did with it I mean the bit where you know Jamie knelt down and they projected that kind of uh, rainy city backdrop behind mm-hmm. them, and he it was like the and it was like you know like oh that's a an homage to the crow mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of thing. He's got like all these cool little bits that are in and out of it, and they're just so fucking like you say incendiary, savage live at the very very heart of it. I mean, it would be really easy for us to go, oh, did you see the you know the the production and how these video screens and it was all this kind of this kind of cubic massive immersion um immersive experience the whole thing but at the heart of it you've got an absolutely raging band like i think i think uh, it says a lot that code orange is contemporaries are still trying to catch up with forever let alone underneath yeah and they still haven't like the majority i've not heard i've barely heard any bands who can even touch forever and for and we said when we reviewed underneath that underneath makes forever look quite amateurish in a way now i think that's a little ott but you know and certainly the songs that they played from forever really really worked in this set but in terms of like what they did for actually the set itself i mean it takes a lot of stuff from theater um it was basically a white box which they could project Mm um colored images onto and as a result each song had a very striking color palette like very very deep dark reds or very bright white lightning kind of colors or greens um or or blues and yeah that blue was like that yeah electric electric cool blue and stuff like that and that kind of level of production design and that vision is stuff that i do not see coming from other bands and, and, you know, people will kind of, whenever I see, I mean, I half the time I just can't be asked to get involved with people who don't want to listen to Code Orange because, 
you know, it's like, well, it's your loss. Who gives a shit? You know, why should I give a shit if you think this band are um, like one of the best bands in the world or not? But whenever I hear um, people who are like, oh, they're not original. They're just doing the same thing over and over again. Occasionally I'll ask, well, like what example? Give me an example of a band who do do what Code Orange do. And most of the time they're giving me these tiny little shitty bands who have one element one (laughs) element of what code so i don't know someone sent me this death metal project which had a bit of glitching in it and i was like they sound exactly the same i'm just like what is wrong with your fucking ears they've done one thing like people seem to think that originality only comes from having from every single individual idea being completely original what they're completely missing it's the amalgam of all of those things the way that you assimilate them together the way and code orange managed to do that whilst not compromising on their sound and sounding and having hooks as well you know um that's a really important thing i think that people don't really pick up on is that this is not just you know aimless noise and I, lo- you know, I love a lot of bands that are just, I don't like the word aimless, but just d- disorientating noise. They've got fucking hooks. And at this point in their career as well, I mean, I'm looking at a set list right now and the whole thing, it just, it, it, it this like Bungle is about, they played for about the same amount of time. And Bungle, I was like, oh, they're probably getting to the end now. And when the Code Orange one ended, I was like, is that it? Yeah. Oh, come on, man. I want more. Yeah. And you think, right. No My World, no Bleeding in the Blur, yep. no I Am King, no Underneath. Yep. That's something- I mean, they've, they've, they've assembled a, a, a set list now and they've assembled a group of songs now that even when you're, ta- you know, when you get to the point where, you know what I mean, when you go to Metallica and you, you could list a load of the songs that they don't play. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And Code Orange got to the point now where you look at that set list and you go, that was fucking amazing, but guess what? Where was this? There's still five or six songs that they didn't even play. Oh, totally. That are fucking amazing. This one seemed to really focus on hard, heavy stuff in the main. And yeah. I really, really liked that. Something that I've... I mean, Code Orange have been... Not only are they ahead of the pack musically, but they've been ahead of the pack in terms of these live streams. They were the first bloody band to do it basically you know um literally the day after underneath came out so it was the 14th of march um before many countries were even on lockdown they they were Mm. the first band to come out with a live stream and that was really really impressive what they did at that time but just like underneath to forever this stream made that one that they did the very very first one they did look amateurish in comparison and it's the fact that they are not willing to stay still and they keep doing things and they keep pushing it and they will they absolutely refuse to stay stock still that is what the best bands do radiohead nick cave and the bad seeds and pink floyd yeah pink yeah pink floyd yeah sure and um the fact that we've got a band doing that in really really heavy music as well i mean no one complains more about how dodgy and boring heavy music is in 2020 more than i do but i can't i can't say that of code orange at all because they're constantly surprising me constantly Uh, yeah i mean not to get into it too much because i'm sure come the end of the year this conversation will crop up again but people who aren't 
just in love with this like people who who are just like ho-humming about this band i'm sorry but i think i think that doesn't say anything about code orange it doesn't even it says a bit about the person saying it i think it says more about heavy metal and metal and hardcore and, and those things it says more about that scene than it does about code orange the fact that they aren't the comfortably the biggest band in heavy music right now it says way more about what all the problems with him i mean when i see people saying that oh you know the Barry tomorrow album's probably the best gotta be the best metal album of the year and it's like are you i mean in what metric could you possibly think that the Barry tomorrow album which is a perfectly acceptable metalcore record and i'm not slagging it off but by what metric could you possibly tell me that musically that is better than underneath you are fucking mad if you think that you are fucking absolutely mental i'm not going to call them out because they're a friend of mine but i um started watching this stream with a friend and um they said the thing that i don't like about code orange is they they make me have to work too hard and i think that said it exactly i think i think that's the thing so much of this so much heavy music has just been so boring and so stale for so long that it hasn't had to make people work. It hasn't had to, um, you know, I'm, like it just hasn't done. I mean, it, it's got to the point where we call architects a tech bell, tech band, you know, I'm just like, what? Like, no, that's, there's not technical at all. It's, it's, it's really it's it's got to a really disturbing place and the fact that when code orange come out and do something that is genuinely subversive and genuinely challenging it feels like really alien to people and it just feels too much like hard work but unfortunately but the thing is is that's the best music that it just Mm. it just is um in in the interests of balance and also in the interests of saying some criticisms because we don't actually generally criticize this band very much but i do think <laughs> I, I can't remember ever saying anything. well no. honestly, i'm not sure i've ever said anything bad about code orange ever. no but i think i think it, it probably, it's probably is. really exhausting for people that, that don't like them as well probably like well, oh my god so yeah go ahead ex- exa- exactly so in it with that in mind and you know i imagine jamie will probably listen to this so hello jamie uh but i will say I think it is really fucking impressive what Jamie has done in the last year in terms of um, coming out from behind the drum stool and becoming a frontman. I think he's done amazing work to be as charismatic as he is uh, already. I still think he has a bit of bit to go. But then, to be honest with you, if you think about it, he hasn't actually managed to perform in that role in front of people yet. So I think yeah, the work, that's the thing, isn't it? I yeah. think the work that he's done is is really really good. I still think there's a way to go, but you know, I, I, but I, I thought that's that was worth acknowledging. I suppose the one thing I will say, and I really admire this about Code Orange, it's clear that they haven't tidied up anything you know this is the other thing we're used to a lot of bands and people probably don't even know it but if you hear something live from bands these days i just did quote unquote with live live albums and stuff like that are usually tidied up and you know they'll 
go into the studio and re-record overdub bits where they fucked up. It's really obvious that Code Orange don't do that. And I really, I, I really like that about them because something that people don't talk about with Code Orange is whilst it's really mechanical and has lots of electronic elements in it, it does feel like it's played by human beings as well. Mm. And that's something that I think is really key to why yeah. they are objectively better than almost every single other heavy metal band yeah, out there at the moment. There, there were no like overdubs on the vocals or anything. I mean, there were, you know, I mean, um, th- there are plenty of, songs where they even on the heavy set where they're now doing you know cleaner more melodic vocals and because they throw themselves around with such you know i think if you're a if you're a hardcore band you can throw yourself around quite a lot Mm. and just kind of bark stuff out and maybe miss the odd lick here and there or the odd bit of a riff here and there because you know in the live show with people jumping off the stage and stuff it's all part and parcel of it going on in a live stream obviously those things are more noticeable and yes this is the also point I was gonna mention. Yeah. yeah and obviously as well code orange is music is so dense and so difficult and so challenging it's far so there were you know there, there probably were a couple of occasions where you went oh someone's just like bashed into someone else and it's slightly gone dink and you've you've heard it but but again like that is absolutely that's not a problem for me at all i don't want them to sound per- i don't want them to sound perfect i, I don't, want them to sound live and I, they they do don't get me wrong i totally totally agree i think the one point where it does make it a little bit difficult for me is when they do clean vocals sometimes particularly when um reva and jamie are singing together um sometimes because they are ever so slightly off of each other i think that needs to be worked on because if i was there watching it live in the flesh i probably wouldn't have even noticed to be honest but because i was sat on my bed watching it as a live stream the fact that they were ever so slightly off of one another was quite cloying yeah that's that's a i I guess I mean, if that's if that's the biggest criticism, oh yeah, it is that we've got of a code origin. It is, and to be honest, yeah. I was sort of looking for criticisms because I was aware that we don't usually criticize them. Mm. I thought it was bloody. It's the it's the best stream I've seen. For, uh, me. for me, it's between this Biffy and Behemoth, but yeah, I haven't seen the Behemoth one. The Biffy one was really good, but I like Code Orange's music more than I like Biffy. So, as much as I like Biffy's new album. Um, yeah, and also they played that album in full as well, so you, you kind of knew what was coming. Whereas I liked it when I was like, "Oh my god, they're doing like a new level and all that stuff." That's true. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but they're both very, very good bands. Um, and speaking of very, very good bands, we should probably get on to do some album reviews since we've got six albums to mm. review. Rimfrey, mm. we've been here an hour. Bloody hell! Uh, we're going to start with "Endless Twilight of Codependent Love." Oh, what a funny name. By Solstafir, the seventh studio album from the Icelandic post-metal band, the follow-up to 2017's Birdemen. Um, I believe that's how you say that. Birdemen, yeah. Birdemen, um, which actually came after their critically acclaimed 2014 Otter, which is a fucking fantastic album, by yes. the way. Um, now, I bring up Otter because... 
Otter, as I mentioned, was highly critically acclaimed in 2014, but it was an album that I didn't actually listen to at the time. Uh, I didn't really know anything about Souls to Fear. Suddenly they appeared and everyone's saying this album's really good, yada, yada, yada. But for whatever reason, I didn't listen to it. Now, I got sent to see them play that album in full at the Islington Town Hall about a year later. I was like, and it was yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. It was fucking brilliant. And I was just sort of asked by Metal Hammer to go and review it. Went down and I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And it made me go and listen to the record straight away. And I had about six months where I probably listened to that album every day. Yes. I think it's absolutely fucking fantastic. I then saw them at Einsteflug Festival in Iceland in their hometown. Again, playing the album in full. Um, they did two sets at that festival. Actually, they did one kind of rare cuts Um and b-sides and stuff set and they did otter in full and they both times were were, were excellent um so um and i think uh bird damon is a an excellent follow-up to that record i still think otter is my own personal favorite but it probably is worth pointing out those things um just because i think we need to sort of try and describe exactly what solstice fear actually do Mm. because they do for me kind of ethereal beauty in metal as well as any other band in metal but then i'm not really sure that they're actually a metal i think calling them a metal band even though that's clearly where they're from yeah yeah yeah. it's never quite sat right with me and that's not gonna like you're not metal sort of thing it's just i don't think they there's so much that's got nothing to do with metal in, in Souls to Fear. No, I mean, they started out as a black metal act. Um, they've often been described, and I know that the band don't like this description, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. They have often been described as black metal meets cigarettes. Now, I understand completely and utterly why they don't like that description, because um, whilst it's not entirely inaccurate as a description, um, but it only describes part of their sound i think i think that mm. only gives you like 20 percent of the solstice fear sound um having said that it's a damn good hook for the uninitiated and i remember it sounds like i got into solstice fear just prior to you um i in fact i think i read in um in metal hammer a uh, article on them which described them as black metal meets cigarettes and you know my ears pricked up immediately i was like oh i've got to hear that band and then um daniel p carter premiered otter the song on radio one rock show and i tuned in to listen to it and i just thought it was absolutely fucking incredible um so i've been a fan since then i agree with you otter's their best album i think bedroom in is probably their second best um Bedroom was my sixth favourite album of 2017 and Otter was my fourth favourite album of 2014. So I really fucking love this band. I think they're fucking phenomenal. Um, But what do they actually sound like? They call themselves atmospheric post-rock and rollers, um, which doesn't describe the sound as well as Black Metal meets Cigarettes, but I do think that's more accurate overall (laughs) in terms of what they do. But we are talking about a band who have a very individualistic, very... um, uh unique very certainly they come on and you go that's solstafir you know they have mm. um they have a kind of like icelandic cowboy kind of um yeah thing a going on very as well. very clear and I, I mean the thing that again particularly you have bemoaned a lot on the show 
metal and a lack of a clear and and identifiable personality that belongs specifically to that one band. Souls to Fear are probably as good an example of a band having a recognisable but completely unique sound. Because the elements that go together to make up Souls to Fear, we've mentioned black metal, we've mentioned kind of cowboy music, I'm going to throw Thin Lizzy in there as a very, very obvious Mm. comparison as well. Um, And, um, you know, Seager Ross and post-rock. I think all of those things on paper are fairly standard fare for uh, a lot of bands. Do you know what I mean? A lot of bands do kind of atmospheric black metal and a lot of bands do kind of thin lizzy style dual guitar leads and a lot of bands do kind of cowboy rock and rolly stuff like these are not unique odd um influences they're not doing kind of you know malaysian nose flute music or anything Mm -hmm. like that do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean these are very very popular uh influences for bands Mm -hmm. to have the brilliant thing about Solstafir is that the, how they meld those things together, singing in their native tongue, mm. um, you know, most of this is sung in Icelandic again. They have, as I mentioned, these kind of massive, chuggy, thin lizzy, jewel, soaring lead guitar parts alongside this very sort of, very Scandinavian kind of, low energy um quite dour but beautiful this kind of like very kind of somber melodic beauty very very delicate they have a very they're a very delicate sounding band whilst also being often quite quite instantaneous and quite chuggy and quite rocky yeah i don't really hear a lot of but i mean you know i the, I know the black metal element is probably from very early on in yes. their yeah, yeah, yeah. career. You don't really hear that so much anymore, I would say. These days, you barely hear it on their records at all. I would say Otter probably was the what the last one that had even traces of black metal in it. But yeah. it's almost, almost entirely gone now. There's the occasional kind of Blasby-esque bit. But yeah, it's it, it's it's almost really it's the first two albums that have, that mm. they were basically a black metal band back then. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the bio um, mentions artists as varied as the Beatles, Kraftwerk, Dark Throne, Ennio Morricone, and Smashing Pumpkins, and I can hear all of those in this mm. record. Yeah, me too. Yeah, them. I mean, it's certainly uh, again as souls to fear tend to be this is a very unusual record i think in the way it's put together not only in the way it sounds but the way it's put together as well i mean you get a kind of 10 minute plus and a nearly nine minute long one two to open with i mean that is as long uh, the first two tracks are as long as that zealand ard ep that we were talking about yeah, last yeah, week yeah, yeah. um <laughs> which says um which says something i mean i i have to say because of that quite elongated start i do feel like this album takes a little while to get going okay so here here we go so yes i'm really glad that we did a preamble which was basically going on about how wonderful solstafir are because they really are a wonderful band and despite what i'm going to say about this record i don't know what you're going to say about it but despite what i'm going to say about this record i implore you to go out and listen to solstafir I just don't really want you to listen to this one first. Um, That seems, that seems, oh, okay. uh, We're going to go in like, is is, is this what it's going to be, Renfrey? um, We'll we'll see. There there are good things. There are good things about this record, 
but I'm not going to lie to you in terms of disappointments because of how much I love this band. For me, this is one of the most disappointing records of the year. Mm. Um, and it's, I had a similar experience with this as I did with the last Paul Bearer record in that, you know, I, I, I think Paul Bearer are brilliant. I really, really like it. And that Forgotten Days album, you know, many people have said really, really nice things about that record. Same with this album. Um, I got nine out of 10 in Metal Hammer. You know, it's had some really, really good reviews. Um, but there was that feeling of listening to it and just feeling like something was missing. I think it starts relatively well. Um, but yes, what you're saying about there being two 10 minute song, uh, you know, one 10 minute song, another eight minute song right at the beginning. It is a very slow glacial start in that sense. But then I thought about it and Solstice have done that. I mean, Otter starts with yeah. two 10 minute songs as well. So it's not as if they're not capable of doing that. I do think the first song proper, Akeri, Akeri, I mean, yeah, forgive us for the pronunciations of these songs because most of them will be wrong. But I think it does start well with that driving opening 10 minute track. It's really propulsive and dynamic after, a, I was going to say a short intro. I mean, it's about a minute and a half, but that's relatively short for Souls to Fear. And the song definitely suits that atmospheric rock and roll tag more than it does the, you know, black metal Sigaross tag. Mm. But then uh, Dry Seal is a surprisingly slow second song. There aren't many albums that you get where you have quite a glacial slow song for the second track which then lasts eight minutes um solstice aren't afraid to be glacial at points and it lets the music unfold itself and unwind itself um but it's a gamble to do that and i think it, it just about pays off but then unfortunately after that they go into roca which is another really really slow song and i just feel that the pace it's difficult because being glacial and being slow and building slowly and all these kind of things are all things that Solstice do and it's their bread and butter in a lot of ways. But you've got three songs in a row with um, Drysil, Roka and her fall from grace, which are all really, really, really glacial and really, really slow. And I, <laughs> I listened to this album a lot because I was like, I'm just missing something. I must be missing something. And I keep finding that around that part of the record, particularly her fall from grace, which is actually the the song that they've pointed out in the bio is like one of the most personal and one of the most important songs on the record. It's a point where I get really, really uh, bored, mm. which I feel awful saying. And it really pains me to say it because I fucking love this band, but I can't deny it. I mean, I've listened to this album now a dozen times and it just, and it it's got gradually slightly better for me with more listens, but I, I just, Solstavir have a way normally of taking me on that journey with them and me being so entranced with what they're doing that I don't become bored, even though the songs are quite slow and quite glacial. But with, when it gets, to, I mean, another thing I'll say, and similar to the Paul Bearer record, the themes of her fall from grace in particular are themes which really should resonate with me personally. Um, it chronicles the pain of watching a loved one succumb to mental illness. Now, 
those who have listened to this, it's it's literally a song about um, a parent, a relative or parent being consumed by Alzheimer's and turning into a different person than one remembers. Now, long-time listeners of the show will know that that's a song that should absolutely resonate with me, seeing as my mum passed away from vascular dementia a year and a half ago. And strangely, if anything, it just makes me cringe a bit. There's something about... It's the only song on the album which is in English. And, you know, English isn't their first language and all this sort of thing, but they've done songs in English before which have worked quite beautifully. And there's just something... About, it just didn't move me at all. I didn't... I actually I, I actually actively disliked it, um, which is a weird weird alien feeling with me and Soul Sophia because that's never... I've never actively disliked anything they've done. I've been ho-hum on bits and pieces, but I've never actively disliked it. But it just sounded like a weaker version of songs that they've done in the past, like um, Fiara uh, from uh, Svatia Sandar or um, Necrologue from Cold. Uh, like, to me, I was just like, this is just an inferior version of those songs. Um, and that's how I felt about it as as a big fan of the band. And it, it for me, it really drops off at that point in the record. It doesn't sound like you agree with me as wholeheartedly on that, but what are your feelings on that? Um, well, I mean, I've written Glacial for Akiri, the first song, and I said it starts at a very glacial pace. I think it's pretty, but I yes. think, and I would agree that, you know, for me, I just thought, well, I feel that they're capable of more than this. Yes. Again, in in a, it's and even in a briefer time than you get. As yes. I think the thing that I loved about Soul Sophia before was that those, that kind of swaying pendulum of influences that they have, um, you get to hear a little bit of all of them. They 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 all get their own little kind of moment in the spotlight for the majority of their their what I think are their best songs. Yeah, um, and I think the latter part of this record proves that as well personally yeah, yeah, yeah. i think the, the Spo- spoiler a, alert the latter part of this record is much much better it, yeah I, I i really like the opening siren-esque riff on dry sill dry mm. sill sounds like some sort of work surface adhesive glue by the way mm. um i don't know <laughs> if that's what the song's about but um i i, I will and, dry sill starts brilliantly i i, lo- I lose yeah. lose patience with it by the end of it but it starts brilliantly yeah. i think yeah. i really like the start of it and then it just kind of becomes this almost like a a ghostly apparition which is yeah really there anymore yeah and yeah. that as a as the first sort of nearly 20 minutes of the album i was a bit like uh, yes um it's, and a, it's a pacing issue isn't it i it think it is a pacing, it's issue, a pacing because, issue because you get those first four and then you get a metal one you get dionysus yeah which is a sort of you know like you get a bit of that i it would i'd hardly say it's a black metal song but it's got a bit of tremolo picking it's the closest thing you get to anything metally yeah there's it's some, got some throat shedding vocals yeah some sort of screechy vocals yeah. and an old school metal chug and it breaks the it suddenly breaks the record up but it's been so long in coming it's been 22 minutes and 33 seconds of of mm. the, those are those three songs in a row which are very slow and glacial and i, yeah. I kind of you know, Solstavir have been able to jump between those dynamics very successfully in the past and make it work. So I'm a little bit confused as to why I think if Dionysus had come earlier, it would have broken things up much, much better. And it just feels really confusing. It's to me. weird. It's yeah. weird because I don't, I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't really think at this point in their career that metallic 
chug that metallic sound that they have. I don't really think that's their strength. I actually do think that the kind of the ethereal, slower, more, you know, kind of crystalline, beautiful, delicate stuff. They're really, really good at that. They're, they're much better at that than they are at yeah. doing the kind of metallic stuff. Yeah. And it was weird sort of hearing the metally one and, and that making my ears prick up and going, oh, because oh, I don't really necessarily think that that's where they're at their best. And I did find that a little bit like, oh, that's quite worrying um, because you, I really because I really like Dionysus. I was like, this is great. Yeah. Um, but you but need... it's not really great in terms of their entire discography. No, I agree. But, but I, I think it feels great because you need a Dionysus at that point in the record but it's almost it's almost sort of a false dawn it's like a false horizon because it just feels that they have done songs like Dionysus much much better in the past you know yeah um if you compare it to their heavier material in the past it, they've done much much better versions of that song I think mm. predominantly that is my issue with the record as a whole but you know carry on but there's like Till Moldair, which mm. Till Moldar, which comes afterwards, which again is like a slower, more ethereal thing. But it gets that done in half the time as anything else that's happened before. And I think actually, yes. like that's really good. I think yes, Alda I Alda Sundana is is great again. And they kind of there's a bit of a grunge riff. Mm-hmm. Again, we mentioned this with Paul Bearer last week as well. That kind of the influence of. I mean, I don't know if it is actually an influence, but certainly the sound that, or, that reminded me of like Kim Tael and Jerry Cantrell-esque mm-hmm. guitar mm-hmm. tones, I think is really good. And there's a really, really, again, delicate, beautiful verse. And the juxtaposition when that grunge riff comes in is great. And I think when they do that, they're fucking brilliant. Like yeah. it's really, really good. And the um, shout, out I to the, make, shout out to the amazing guitar solo on that song as well towards the end. Yeah, it's really good. Wicked. And the and the other song that I really liked is the the last song, Ulfur, yes. uh, which sounds like a kind of Icelandic post-metal version of Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi, but with a, a big re- kind there's of... There's a real Western theme to it, isn't there? Yeah, 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 but with a real sort of corrosion conformity riff on it as well. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that's something that I ever thought I was going to need, yes. the kind of an Icelandic yes. post rock version of bon jovi but with pepper keenan on guitar Mm. um but it's here now and thank you for bringing it to me yeah 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 uh yeah it's it's really good and you know i think the second half of this record reminded me of like how brilliant souls of fear are i'm not entirely sure that it's that anything on it is really up to the same standard as the stuff in otter but they are a very very unique sounding band yes and even at the start I was I was like, at least it sounds, you know, even though I, I can't really pretend that I think the first half of this record is musically as strong as they've been in the past. I don't even think, as I mentioned, Dionysus is as strong as they've been no. when they do that stuff, even though it feels like a fucking rager within the context of this record. But they are incredibly unique sounding. Mm. So they've definitely got that going for them. And I think I give them a bit more of a pass just because it's like, well, you still sound like Solstavir and nobody else, but it's really only probably three of the last four songs where I'm like, that's, that's wicked. That's proper wicked. That's a totally fair thing to say. And, and in a, in a weird way, I kind of want to give Solstavir a pass because everything you're saying is absolutely correct. They are one of the most interesting, unique bands in, and I'm going to do a quote unquote here, metal because i'm not even sure if they are in metal anymore but they have come from the metal world at least and they are covered by the metal press and should you listen to solster fear absolutely yes you should and if you do not know this band you're welcome they're brilliant the reason 
I've sounded really quite harsh on, on this review, and I will hold my hands up and saying I am being harsh, is because they are capable of so much more. Um, this is not... I don't think um, that this album, Endless Twilight of Codependent Love, I don't think it's a bad album, but I know they are... It's, 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 it's the Paul Bearer thing again. I'm sorry to make the comparison, um, but it really did remind me of Forgotten Days. It's not. This is not a bad record, but they are capable of so much more. And I will say, I think it is the weakest record they've released since probably their second album, which came out, fucking hell, 2005? Mm. Um, you know, the last four records they've done, Cold, Svartasander... Otter and Bedramin uh, all trounce this album as far as I'm concerned. Um, right. They're just much, much, much. I, I think Solsevere have continued to get better and better and better as they've gone on, more or less. Otter probably is the peak of what they've done. But, you know, Bedramin was an incredible follow-up um, to an album that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but uh, this, this album really made me aching for more because i know they are capable of so much more and salsifer albums are long you know they're long epic sweeping cinematic glacial journeys as it is but they don't tend to feel long because they sweep me up in them and i get transported to a different place i didn't feel that with this record it fe- it's 63 minutes long and it feels 63 minutes long um, I was kind that's, of that's certainly true. That's yeah, certainly true. I was kind of stunned to learn that Otter and Bedramin both are only are both six minutes shorter than this record, but they feel uh, this record feels about twenty minutes longer than those records. To be honest, yeah, it does. I think that's quite telling. But then, having said that, I I, I was in the main kind of happy to be in the presence of solstice fear but i do definitely think it is no i mean it's it's definitely not as good as the last two Mm. absolutely undoubtedly unquestionably Mm. not as good as the last two they're just an incredibly unique band because they're such a unique band i think you should probably kind of cling on to whatever you get from it. Do you know what I mean? I've, yeah. I've got that sort of attitude to it where I'm like, I don't ever get to hear, you know, it's three years, usually three years between albums, 2014, 2017, 2017, 2020. Mm-hmm. So you're getting, you get, you're getting an hour of it every three years yeah. of yeah, anything yeah, yeah. like this. So I have found myself kind of clinging onto the fact that, well, this is all I'm going to get. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just me really, really loving the last two records that much that I'm like, Oh great. More of that. Um, which has kind of clouded my judgment because you are right. I, I do find myself having to kind of justify to myself, this is amazing because they, they themselves are amazing. And I think there are moments on this record that, that, that are fucking brilliant, like absolutely brilliant. Yep. And, I agree. Yep. And you know, but it is more, um, I think it's more just them than this record, to be honest. I, 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 I agree. And, and I really do want to stress I, if you are not familiar with Souls to Fear, I, I really do want people to listen to them because they are like properly unique and properly fascinating and a great, great band. Um, part of me wonders, is this a good place to start with Souls to Fear? Because 
in my mind, I'm like, well, you could listen to this and be amazed by this just because it sounds so different to anything you've ever heard before. And then you discover Otter and Bedroomin and Cold. And it's like, oh my God, these ones are even better. Um, but I'm also reluctant to do that because I'm also kind of like, well, Otter exists. Just listen to Otter. It's fucking amazing. You yeah, know? That, I mean, that's, yeah, that's quite a good point. Um, um, I think hmm. if this had been released as a three track EP, with track one, seven, no, sorry, with track one, eight, and nine, um, it would have been of the quality that they had done in the past, and it would have made a really nice three-track kind of 25-minute EP. But I just think there's a lot of... I'm, I'm reluctant to even call it filler, because when you're listening to something that sounds as unique as this, filler feels like the wrong word to use, but there's just a just a lot of material which Solstice have done better in the past and it's a real shame there's no getting away from it that that's true um but regardless like we both say you should even if it's not this one uh you should go and listen to Solstice really because they are uh as we said when we're talking about Code Orange we need bands who don't really sound like anyone else and they just they just don't sound like anyone else Absolutely. um anyway endless twilight of codependent love is out now give it a listen and then really do i mean particularly otter i'm gonna say yes it's just an essential listen otter's um, the one otter's the one mm. um we're gonna move on but not too far to be perfectly honest because it's still staying in the same country at least to uh oliver arnold's some kind of peace is the name of the new album from the icelandic multi-instrumentalist and producer uh it's his fifth full-length album he used to be in the hardcore band fighting shit mm. who put an album out on um our record label i think cat and KU records definitely played in Whitchurch. really yeah oh, my, i played it played in my old school I believe. Oh, nice. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, we reviewed Remember back in 2018, and I'd never heard of uh, Oliver Arnold as a solo artist before, and I liked its dreamlike qualities. Yeah. Um, I remember being listening to it the first time and going, this doesn't even really sound like songs to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really, you know I mean? really fascinating, experimental, um, odd album, remember, but one that we both, I mean, I was familiar with Oliver Arnold's work beforehand. I think it was the first time you'd heard him, but um, yeah, really, I mean, it is it is his best, best record. I've, 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 mm. I've enjoyed loads of his work in the past, but, but remember is just something, an absolute career highlight. I think this record, some kind of piece feels like a more... Um, traditional song structures yeah i was about to say well i was about to say traditional neoclassical um album but yes i think i think it is more song orientated than Mm. remember is which had lots of remember had lots of like reoccurring themes that would wind in and out of the music and stuff and this is more incredibly ambient yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. more vocals on this as well isn't there uh yes there's three collaborations in total um one with bonobo jfdr and we reviewed her album earlier this year as well and Josin, um, uh, Oliver Arnold said, all these people were with me at this point in my life, all the experiences that were influ- influencing the album. It'd be weird to make a personal album and not include my friends. And mm. I think the album kind of anchors itself around those collaborations, doesn't it? Because a lot, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for this kind of thing because I really love ambient. Um, a, a lot of what this is, is ambient piano music 
accompanied by strings and yes you could put make me like a four-hour playlist of that and i'd just be in bliss because i i just i just love the sound of that kind of stuff and oliver arnold's just does it really really nicely but then those three collaboration tracks sort of break that stuff up quite nicely um i think the one featuring bonobos the first um song on the album loom is really fucking cool it's not actually vocals on that track but he's a do you know bonobo british musician producer and dj i'm aware of him as a person but i've never listened to any of his music before. no neither have i and i really want to after hearing this um he mm. has a relatively prolific career he's on ninja tune um which is a kind of yeah. experimental hip-hop label mm. um we've talked about fink in the past who's on ninja tune um their collaboration collaboration came about following a hike the two musicians took in the Icelandic wilderness last year. Oh, nice! <laughs> Isn't that, that must nice? have been lovely? The Icelandic wilderness is barren. Who who wouldn't want to be there at the moment? Oh, it's awesome! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it has a slightly different feel uh, to the other songs. I think it's more kind of electronic instrumentation rather than just classical. But mm. it's got a really like mellifluous deep throbbing synths and that ghostly melody over the top when it first came in i was because i at this point i was like okay well i know what i'm gonna get this time because i've heard mm. the last record and then wow. i put that on and i was like this is not what i expected yeah, at all. yeah yeah um it then kind of does merge slightly into more i wouldn't say exactly what i expected but more towards what i was expected yes um i find these records actually very very difficult to review because i mean picking out individual songs from an album like this as a, apart from the the first one which certainly stands out i think from the rest of it um even though there is stuff like spiral uh there's a song called spiral which has the best quote-unquote swell of the mm -hmm, record mm -hmm, where mm -hmm, everything mm -hmm. kind of comes to a crescendo um there's a few bits of um I mean, the song Undone has the woman talking about the end of her life or something. Yeah. There's a, like a bit of spoken word stuff underneath it. Um, I, I find these uh, these sort of albums, you know, I mean, I was about to say, you can't really pick bits out of them. And then I've just picked two bits out of them. Um, <laughs> no, but <laughs> I, I, do, I, I do know what you're saying. I think, I think if you take songs like Still Sound, Zero, New Grass, We Contain Multitudes, they do follow that formula of beautiful piano and beautiful strings constructed together he, and neither neither of those things are bad things I, I i think this is what you're saying anyway but yeah. but yes but picking out individual moments yes it is quite tricky uh, it's a bit like i mean we were just talking about mastodon before we started recording yeah. and uh, crack the sky is a record where i think you could probably go well I'll listen to the last baron but really or like listen to divinations or whatever and you but but really you need to the whole thing the whole is thing. the whole thing yeah, yeah 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 and i think these sort of records it's the whole thing is a whole thing I, agree. I think he does he he does a lot with a little doesn't he yes i think that's yes. the one thing i think is cool about this is that he does a lot with a little you mentioned new grass um which i really liked it's essentially two notes on the piano mm -hmm. and some rain sounds and yep. a bit of cello yeah but it's still really lovely i mean it's a good this is a good, this is the sort of album, I think, you know, I said it before, like, now I know what to expect and now I know where I am mm -hmm. more with an artist like this. I go into it, I, I put it on at a time when, you know, I wouldn't put on fucking, uh, I wouldn't, if I'm in, if I'm going to put this on, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in a different situation to putting on, you know, Converge or something. Of course. Yeah, I always yeah. use Converge. But, um, 
and I think before when I listened to it, I remember sitting down to listen to the last one and going, okay, I'll, I'll listen to this with, mm. you know, cause we're reviewing it and sort of going, I don't know what's going on. You know, you've got to be in the, you've got to be in the sort of a comfy chair, I think to listen to this. You've got, you've kind of got to let it wash over you. I think. Yeah. Is yeah, yeah, um yeah. um we talk we've talked about background music in in the past and like background music which um uh changes changes the molecules in the room uh you know which um which changes the feeling and changes the mood of the room and stuff like that and background music can be used as a term to be uh snide about music but that's I don't think that's what we mean when we're talking about stuff like this um no 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 it's just it, it creates a nice general atmosphere like a yeah. glade plug-in yeah yeah if you <laughs> yeah, like which makes your room smell nice it's a glade plug-in of an album yeah <laughs> it's nice um, i like it yeah i mean to be honest that's it really that's all i have to say about that if there's anything else you'd like to say i think this is this is good for certain situations i do think probably i think the last one gave me more on repeated listens yeah I and i don't know if that's just because i went into it not really knowing what was going to happen and i had to sort of adjust my i had to sort of recalibrate to know what was how to kind of best enjoy it and i feel like this time i i'd already had that ready mm-hmm. to go but mm-hmm. i did feel like i ended up i mean i've listened to this four or five times mm-hmm. four probably about four times which probably isn't really enough really to just to sort of say what i just said but i've i've said it now um but yeah i think it's good although i do think the last one maybe is slightly more affecting i agree that um remember is an album that i would recommend to people whether they liked this kind of thing or not and uh some kind of piece i'm not sure if i would be as ready to recommend it to someone who wasn't already really into ambient works remember seemed to kind of um push beyond just like ambient just sitting in a chair and relaxing kind of music you know um that doesn't mean i don't like i I still think this is a really really good album and i think it's a really really nice personal record i think it's worth mentioning mentioning the bottom line with um jocene's performance on it um just because she's got this absolutely beautiful ethereal vocal tone to her voice which i think is absolutely amazing the way that the strings swell up behind her very celestial performance is really lovely i think now is quite a good time for a record like this to come out um things are very uncertain and there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress around and if you just want to sit down for 38 minutes and 45 seconds and just feel the world float away for 40 minutes um maybe in a darkened room or something like that um i can't think of a better album to do that probably that's come out all year than this really into just in terms of like just wanting to chill the fuck out and um i think everyone kind of needs to do that at some points in their life but it feels like a lot more people are going to need to do that with all the shit that's going on at the moment um so i think from that perspective this has come out at a really beautiful time the record's called some kind of peace and that's exactly what it will give you if you do that and if you allow it to just but it kind of works best in a way if you do just sit there and close your eyes and just breathe basically it sounds very new Mm. age um but you know that is the best way that this record is going to work and or, or even like some some people would put on i used to put oliver arnold's on 
like just before going to bed kind of thing to kind of unwind um <laughs> and like it is it's a really it's it's a really good for that kind of thing and i think a lot of that uh sort of stuff you know it's looked down and frowned upon sometimes in the western world but i think it is actually quite an important thing to do for people mm. to de-stress um mm. and if ever there was a time where that was important it would be now so it's true it's absolutely true yeah um i quite rate this uh some kind of piece by oliver arnold's is out now it's a just a lovely you know it's just lovely i i see people on twitter like every kind of friday you see people go what's out what's out what should i listen to straight away and people get really excited about what's about to come out in you know whatever type of music they like mm. i can't ever imagine someone going you have to listen to oliver arnold's right now mm, mm, mm. so what i'm going to say is we're not going to say go out and listen to it right now but if ever you're sitting around one night maybe it's sort of the twilight has you know gone down you're just getting ready for bed or something you're not quite ready to go to bed but you just want to sort of relax maybe you had a stressful day that's the time when you want to pull this out and just Absolutely. go i might just check that out um but yeah, yeah that would be perfect. the best yeah. yeah that would be perfect okay um let's move on this is a bit of a surprise release venart in the dead dead wood um the former ocean size frontman's third full-length album we have already reviewed his scabrous two-track ep dick privilege mm. earlier this year uh we also reviewed the album a cure um to cure a blizzard on the plastic sea way back in the very early days of the show we also did an ocean size record efflores i believe was the one that That's you it. gave me in trade-off uh, um ocean size you claim renfrey are the best british band of all time uh that's what you think and that's why you gave me that record and i listened to it and i thought okay that's quite a lot to take in um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as a as a thing you also tried to put them in our venn diagram of riot acts back in episode zero of mm-hmm. the show the first episode ever episode we did now here's what's happened since all of this stuff i hadn't heard ocean size mm-hmm. at all really other than seeing them supporting curry in cambria and getting a bit of a you know, I would say a fairly lukewarm response. Um, and I didn't listen to them when they were around. I was quite shocked when you said, you know, top five best, was it prog bands or rock bands? And you had picked Ocean Size. And I was like, oh, fucking hell. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just surprised. Mm-hmm. I was just surprised because I hadn't heard them. I wasn't going to be one of those people who've gone, I haven't heard them. So they can't be. Mm. Um, but, you know, anything that I haven't heard can't be the best. Like, yeah. ridiculous. Happens uh, happens a lot, that, that, that does, it, to me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, I thought Dick Privilege, the two-track EP, was as I said, Scabrous. And I think we were like, oh, probably not what I expected. Haven't heard the other stuff that I'd heard. Um, to Cure a Blizzard on the Plastic Sea, I re- just remember it being kind of mental. Yes. Kind of hard work. And mm-hmm. I didn't yep. I didn't dislike it. And certainly the thing about when we were doing trade-off is there's a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, gone is Gone was not Gone is Gone. Um, Down I Go was one that I remember being like, I really love this, but I've not really gone back to it that much. Because when we were like powering through, you know, unlike doing riot ears reviews or unlike doing classic albums or unlike doing you know the the reviews and stuff that we normally do you get that and you maybe listen to it once or twice and you get a kind of brief look at like oh i listened to it and here's what my initial thoughts on it were yeah. and then because of that you rarely remember them or get back to them it's not that you didn't like it mm. it was just something that you know i was like okay so and that was definitely true of ocean size um because 
I remember thinking like, yeah, this is pretty good. I'm sure at some point we will be doing ocean size on a classic album and you will be picking that at that point i think that's when i will probably do some sort of deep dive on ocean size but basically i'm kind of preambling all of this because i've never disliked anything that came my way by either venar or ocean size but i've never really gone back to any of it either Mm. and i think that's true of a lot of good music that we cover we cover a hell of a lot of music both on this podcast and in our own sort of personal lives and you hear something you say i've just listened to it it's good and then the next thing replaces it and it just kind of fades away and you forget that you kind of ever listened to it really and yeah. there are some bands that stick and there are some bands that aren't uh that, that don't and that's kind of how i had felt about most of the venart stuff before it was tough work it wasn't very instantaneous yeah. um it was fucking all over the place some of the 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 parts on um to cure a blizzard on the plastic sea and i was like wow this is going to take more than the sort of four or five listens the week before we review it for me to totally get it and just to interject there i've tried to find a way to sum up van art's sound um and it which is so difficult uh i think the best i came up with was progressive bombast progressive bombast that's good (laughs) so basically because i know frankly you know i haven't really tried to get into ocean size because i know we will be doing them on a classic album podcast one day yeah i'm doing all of this because i'm saying that i haven't really known why people have gone oh my god this guy's incredible Mm -hmm. like you have to me Mm -hmm. and i've listened to this record and I now understand why you think so highly of this person. Hooray! Um, yes, look, I that I completely understand all of that. Um, I loved Vernard's last record, to "Cure a Blizzard on a Plastic Sea," but like its title, it's very unwieldy and difficult to get into and difficult to say. Um, not that you say an album, but you know what I mean. Uh, and I was totally, totally. I was really. I, I have to admit, I was really scared to to bring to uh to build a plastic uh, to build a silly blah blah plastic sea uh in to this podcast because my love for vernart is so sky high and i knew full well that it's a tricky album to get your head around like it, it is it it ended up on my top 20 albums of the year that year but it, it you know it doesn't guide you in particularly i think dick privilege was a far more immediate kind of sound and certainly probably in the dead dead wood i would say is probably the most instantaneous album that venart has released as a solo quote-unquote artist um I mean, I, I think people are already going to know what I think of this record in 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 a way. And people, well, people are already going to know that I'm going to love this album. What they might not realise is that we've only had this three, four days, something like that, because of yeah. the surprise nature release of it. Um, and you know, Venar, even even uh, more instantaneous Venar, is never going to be super 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 easy to penetrate but this is certainly much easier than uh to cure a blizzard on a plastic sea um it's probably even a teeny tiny bit easier than the demon joke as well his first record i think this is probably the best solo album he's done 
Um, I think it's an absolute fucking masterpiece. And it totally makes sense to me that I didn't know how you were going to react to it. Well, I did because you announced it on Twitter. But I, I, I but before you did that, I, I did, I, I didn't know. Sorry, I didn't know if you would um, love this or not. But I'm so pleased to hear you do, and it does kind of make sense because this is, this is a good starting point for an artist mm. who I do accept. Whilst I do love him, it's very tricky to get, get into what he does. I mean one of mike's favorite artists is cardiacs and that's another band who are very tricky to find a way in but once you do you're just absolutely enthralled and um and love what they do what is it about this album that has really pulled you in i think it's kind of again sort of what we were saying about solstice there's a similar sort of thing with this as well that you have these there's monstrous riffs yeah soaring melodies yeah really odds odds i mean i'll get into some of the more specific things but sometimes the melodies are like i couldn't ever have dreamed up that that could work yeah and uh, and and yet it is so just brain huggingly catchy yeah. and yet it sh- you you think that, that i i i don't know there's kind of obvious ways to make big choruses and then there's ways to make big choruses where you think well that shouldn't really be catchy in any way and yet somehow it is um it really feels like lots and lots of different types of bands and types of music that again um the influence of uh shoegaze and stoner rock and those kind of things are not particularly unique um a set of influences but how you use them Mm. and how you meld them and the 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 specific, I mean I've been that's shoegaze and stoner rock is very vague mm-hmm. particularly for this record mm-hmm. like the specific um, shoegaze and the specific stoner things that I'm talking about as we go through it you'll go oh okay well they are quite different from each other I mean I do understand where that, you're coming from though yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean the, op- the 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 opening song um, silhouette, silhouette is is I mean that's you know much like solstice that is not a that is not a hard heavy instantaneous bang there you go song it is a dreamy woozy luscious shoegazy thing but with an absolutely massive riff and a soaring luscious melody yeah and massive is the word isn't it it's it's just massive you just think okay well that's kind of you can see why the members of biffy clyro would want to work with this dude oh absolutely yeah right and then you get the kind of super sleuth you get that kind of robot that kind of can new new queen of stone age influence robot rock sort of thing and already two tracks in i'm like this is very very eclectic yeah straight away yeah um and it bleeds and those songs bleed in beautifully to um elemental Elemental. which is almost a kind of classic rock piano ballad and it's weird because it's really really quiet at some points but again the riff on i mean some of the riffs on this record are massive and i mean i've written down is this this song is great but it doesn't know whether it's ben folds or november rain 
Um, I want to give a shout out at this point to Charlie Barnes, who plays piano on this record. Um, Mm. Some of the piano on this album is just absolutely phenomenal. Charlie Barnes is an amazing solo artist in his own right. Uh, He also plays for Bastille, fun fact. Um, Really? Yeah, but um, his work is all over this record and it sounds absolutely beautiful. Um, Mm. uh, But Elemental is a track where he really stands out. There's a couple of other tracks which we'll go into where he really stands out. But yes, already you've named the first three songs and they are all completely different from one another. And yet... I think Mike being at the centre of it, Mike has quite a recognisable voice. Um, well, can I just pick up on that really, yeah, really quickly before yeah. you go on? He sounds like, I can't quite put my finger on who he sounds like, but he almost sounds like a different, those first three songs, he almost sounds like he's doing a different, vo- an impression of a different vocalist in all three songs, but he does have, but it's clearly still him. It's and I thought that, again, that was really cool as well. There's, it's, it's, it's one thing like changing your distortion pedal so you sound like Hetfield after yeah. doing a kind of Johnny Cash yeah. thing. Anyone can do that. But yeah. to actually Volby. change your voice is like, <laughs> well, yeah, um, particularly Volby. Uh, but <laughs> although, uh, ironically, they don't really, they're not really do good enough anymore, to sound like they? either yeah. of those bands. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, but I thought that was cool. But go on, he's very I know, recognizable. I totally agree. As a matter of fact, I was about to say it is always recognizably him, but his vocals on this record are so varied. I mean, soaring is the word, isn't it? Like they're really, mm. really soaring at some points. But um, you know, he's really, really fragile at points. He croons on a song like "Morning on the Range," but he sounds absolutely beautiful on "Elemental." He's shredding his throat on "Super Sleuth," but then he's incredibly fragile on "Fork in the Road," which we will discuss later. Um, but the music matches that versatility but it still has a very distinct through line which makes the whole thing work i mean it's an album of the, the beauty of venar in my opinion apart from the fact that he's a very idiosyncratic voice is it's an album of juxtapositions we talk about this quite a bit when mm. um the best music is uh music of juxtapositions where yes it is very um uh odd and awkward and weird um vernard once described his music to me as you you need two left feet to dance to it um which i think was very apt and very very mike um but at the same time on this record in particularly that there are there are hooks on it aren't there like there are sing-along moments there are bits that you really 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 want to sing along to and i think that that second part is um I wouldn't say it's been missing from um, his other solo material, but it's not been as prominent. And it's mm. so much more prominent on this one. Um, it has these really soaring vocals. And yeah, it's a really dark record. It was written at the beginning of lockdown. And I think as a result of the beginning of lockdown. Um, and you can kind of tell that it has this very dark underpinning to it. And it's 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 a record which feels like it's in a very dark sad place but trying to reach out for the light all the time and i think that's the key part of it it's trying to reach for some sort of light and that's what makes it so brilliant yeah um, i mean you mentioned the the vocal melodies um just to go through the tracks a bit more i mean the title track i think like lancelot is a pretty good so i think that's probably I like that if song. i was to pick 
Um, but I've got to say, if I was going to pick the weakest song on the album, that would probably be the one that I'd pick as the weakest. I think it's a good okay. song, yeah. um, but it's probably for me the weakest song. Okay. Um, uh, the title track sounds like it's going to start when it starts. You think I, th- I thought well, we're going to get some big Nine Inch Nails yeah. industrial banger, but actually it's just this really nice soundscape thing. And it, but it never because it constantly sounds like it's about to go or yeah. it's almost like yeah. you're going oh i was like oh and then waiting gold comes in and uh, i have to say anyone who has been and i know there's a lot of you who bitched and moaned about the production on the last couple of baroness records mm. right waiting gold is something you should probably listen to mm. because to me that sounds like i i i feel like i'm I've, I've said it before i feel like baroness absolutely are, are producing that those records like that on purpose i yes. think that's what they want them to sound like yes um but if you are someone who's like oh fucking hell that production's too scratchy and it's not good enough and blah 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 um this to me sounds like a baroness song produced quote unquote properly mm. um you've then got morning on the range which i think is incredible yeah it's like Danzig covering Radiohead. It's got this lush, progressive <laughs> danger to it, but it's like almost a cowboy outlaw country kind of way. And that's the one with the vocal melodies on it, which just it's a sharp left turn in where the vocals go at one point. That, but it, but you go with it, yeah. And it's as good. Uh, uh, I think that is as as intelligent a piece of vocal interplay mm. with music as you were here on any song any song of the whole year i agree it's there's a re- fucking killer that there's is. a really odd I, I i have a little bit of understanding in music theory and i've been playing guitar since i was a teenager and all this kind of thing and i can most of the time i listen to enough music to be able to interpret very roughly what musicians are doing Something I love about Venar is he's a musician who constantly confounds me as to what he is actually doing and how he makes those two elements go together. Uh, Morning on the Range is a classic example of that, where he has this almost kind of like lackadaisical uh, vocal in it, where it feels like it's falling behind the riff like in 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 its times it feels like it's a slightly different time signature to the riff itself i don't think it is but it has that feeling that it's kind of like falling behind ever so slightly and yet it still works brilliantly well and i'm just i'm not it sounds like i'm trying to show off about my music theory knowledge i'm not i'm just saying that it's rare that bands flummox me as to how on earth do you do that what 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 is happening there? What are you doing to make that effect? Um, Vernard does that all the time, and Morning on the Rage is a classic example of that. It's really refreshing to hear that kind mm. of thing. Yeah. Um, Which for- I guess brings us to Fork in the Road. <sighs> Where do we even now, start? Now, I'm going to mention Talk Talk here, aren't I? Oh, obviously. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a sub, it's 12, minute, 12 minutes plus a sublime ending to the record really really great new order bass my bloody valentine guitar chords amazing piano again loads of ambience and for non-post-rock fans i'd actually say if you're if you're going oh god he's going on that fucking talk talk the bloody post he's the post-rock kid's about to have his say as well (laughs) fuck this fuck this it's actually 
a very, very easy song to listen to, despite yes. all of those things that I've just said. Yes. I'm not saying it's not difficult or not challenging, like in terms of how it's put together, but I think it's actually a very concise and very comforting piece of music. And when you get to the Beatles bit at the end, mm. that really Beatlesy bit, it's lovely. It's like a lovely pop song. It's, um, it's an absolutely gorgeous song. Mike sounds incredibly fragile on it in a really, really beautiful way. Um, I think Ocean Size fans will immediately, will probably immediately recall Music for a Nurse, which is one of their biggest songs. It was used on an orange advert. Hooray. Uh, it's also one of their most beloved songs in their back catalogue. Um, I think whilst there are echoes of Music for a Nurse, I think this is even better than that song which you know is is saying something um the guitar the mix the mix of this album as a whole is is absolutely sensational um it is mixed to sound very 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 dynamic and um it it does throughout the album but fork in the road is the point where the mix really comes into its own because if you put this on loudly it starts very, very quiet and gradually gets louder and louder and louder. And <clears throat> it's yes, I suppose it is a very post-rock type song, um, but it shows all of the elements as to why post-rock is so brilliantly composed and the way that you can use dynamics in a song like this. And the reason why you need uh, it's technically nine and a half minutes because the the there's a sort of bonus track at the end, which yeah. is concierge. Um, but the way that it builds over that time, uh, you do need that time in order for it to work. And this is proof, you know. I, I've heard people in the past say that like there are songs that can do that post rock thing, but in half the time, and sometimes you get. Uh, an idea of that build in half the time touche amore did a very good version of it on um the last song on stage four but it's never quite the same it's never quite has the same impact um when it is done as well as it is on fork in the road mm. um it is probably one of the best songs mike's ever written yeah it, it's a uh, considering I mean, put it this way, right? I put this on and then you messaged me and went, there's a brand new Venart album. And I went, okay, that's fine. We'll cover that. And I I can't say that I was, you know, honestly was like, oh my God, amazing. In the same way as I would be if it was like, there's a new Deftones album mm -hmm. that surprised it or there's a new surprise, you know, Depeche Mode album or something. Yeah. Like. I wouldn't have been in, in the same way. But, and so I, but so I put it on straight away. I was like, yeah, we can cover this and half and listening to it i was like this is really good and then when that song ended and the album was over i was like fucking hell mm. i'm gonna listen to this again mm. and i listened to it three times back to back mm. which when we've got six which <laughs> to be fair means that that's probably why i don't have as much to say about oliver Arnold, <laughs> been, because i've been listening to this all week um <laughs> uh but um yeah i was i'm massively massively impressed by this mm. Just the, I think the whole thing is brilliant, but particularly for you know the, the fork in the road. It's one of those albums that's this this album basically it starts good and it gets better and better and better. I was literally about to say that. Um, uh, mm. Very similar to we talked about Thou and Emma Ruth Rundle last um, 
last week uh, and yeah. I said exactly the same thing of that record. This does exactly the same thing in terms of, yeah, starting, starting at a very, very, very high quality and basically just getting better as it goes on. Um, it's an absolute masterpiece and I'm so pleased. Um, I mean, like I say, I, lo- I love Vernar and what he does and I did give Takira Blizzard Upon a Plastic Sea a very, very strong review, but I did honestly know that a lot, because it's a tricky album to get into, I knew that a lot of people wouldn't pick up on it. And it wasn't an album that he was going to get many new fans from, you know. In the Dead Dead Wood is exciting to me because um, it's brilliant that you have got it now but i do understand why it's difficult to get into it and but i implore people even if you've listened to venar or ocean size in the past and haven't quite got it this is a really good place to start right yeah definitely it's a really good place to start and like begin to understand why i say these massive massive statements like yes ocean size are the best british band of all time um someone on twitter uh mentioned they were like what better than black sabbath better than um killing napalm joke death better than napalm death yes 100 percent, absolutely ocean size in my opinion are better than all of those bands and i have objective reasons as to why i think that which we will go into when we do classic albums but this <laughs> is looking forward to that uh, <laughs> but this is the on the fact train <laughs> <laughs> this is the closest in quality that venart has got to those ocean size days in my opinion it's absolutely phenomenal an incredible incredible record and i love the fact that we've only had it three or four days it's just going to get better Mm, yeah for sure um it's very very good in the dead dead wood by venar is out now that's not on spotify i believe no um so you have to go and actually get on bandcamp and it's on buy it bandcamp and his website i believe Mm. all right uh next album we're going to be talking about is from the band Bitch Falcon. Uh, the album's called Staring at the Clocks. It is the long-awaited debut from the Dublin trio, who have actually been around since 2014, apparently. Did mm. I know, know that? No. Um, again, Renfrey, you sort of brought this in. I mean, I think we both got sent this, um, but you were quite keen to do it. Yeah. I don't really know much about this band, so there, you'll have to fill me in. Dublin-based trio. Um, well, I've said that, haven't I? I know that. All right. Um They've been described as kind of dream grunge, which I think is a pretty apt descriptor. Um, They've managed to blend a few elements from various different bands to create something. I don't think you could say that it's entirely unique in the way that, say, a Solstafir is or a uh, Venart is, but certainly distinct. I think they're distinct rather than unique, Uh, Mm. I would say. Hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, Possible. disagreement there the press release describes them as a mix of saint vincent my bloody valentine the pixies which i think is pretty good mm-hmm. uh a band that they really do sound like a lot if i'm totally honest although it's a reference that i know is far less well known uh that band marriages a band i brought in um on okay. trade off yeah, again yeah, yeah. uh emma ruth rundle's band before she decided on her fo- on her solo material to focus on that i think it's really yeah 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 i'm surprised you haven't mentioned the yeah 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 as well okay yeah yeah yeah. That appears. oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and also yeah, yeah. i mean the big one for me they're like why i went hmm is because a lot of this sounds like Susie sue Susie and the mm. banshees mm-hmm. a lot i like it really sounds like and, and you know 
yeah, you know, I, I fucking love Susie and hmm. the Banshees, so I don't have a problem with that. But this no. does sound a hell of a lot like Susie and the Banshees, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I th- certainly um, vocally, I can totally see that. I think in terms of the way that the songs are put together, it's quite unorthodox songwriting that I don't hear as much with Susie and the Banshees. Susie and the Banshees, no, this is no difference. Are quite straight. Are quite yeah. straight ahead and quite poppy. I think the songwriting here, they're, they're, it's often, more often than not, it's anchored around the bass and the drums, whilst the guitar is actually playing kind of accentuating patterns over the top which are sometimes melodious, but more often they're not. They're just kind of like textures and patterns that are put through weird um, guitar effects and stuff like that. The beginning of Damp Breath and the title track are quite good examples of that. And I just find that a really, really interesting approach to songwriting that I I really, really enjoy. Um, so yes, whilst vocally I can see where you're coming from, I, I, I think well, it's a far more unorthodox approach than Susie. Well, Lynch's. I would say that that is the sort of cornerstone of most of the 80s post-punk stuff in general, the bass and the drums. Yeah. I mean, I was going to bring the bass player up. I mean, I would say there's a very U2-esque bass at the start of Sold Youth um, and then that big swell. I was like, oh, that sounds a bit like U2, but obviously it doesn't really stay like that for mm. very long. But I was like, oh, that first sort of 20 seconds reminded me of you too i think the bass on this album like the tonality of it so gritty and dirty and really metallic is fucking great i mean the start of um how did i know is probably my favorite bit on the record mm-hmm. um in fact it's probably my favorite song on the record i think i think they're better at that harsh sounding thing with the with the the, the sort of lush female vocals they're kind of more high registered vocals um and that juxtaposition works really really well um than when they're doing um a more sort of uh more modern rock sounding style if you're not yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. i mm, i don't i do i agree with that i'm not sure if i do um whilst whilst i have said that they have a distinct sound i've been very clear to not say it's unique because to be Mm. honest there are quite a lot of bands doing a similar sort of thing at the moment um but it is something that uh historically we've both loved i mean this album reminded me of that last cult dreams record um we did nothing last week and it's definitely got echoes of nothing hum oh we did some we did a few things yeah holy fawn um you know but uh i i just think i just think particularly bearing in mind it's a debut record i think this is really really strong and really assured particularly considering it's a debut album i think going forward it'd be interesting to see if they could write a few more hooks or maybe more accurately because uh, i think this album does have hooks but i think allow the hooks that they do write a bit more space to breathe maybe because i don't i don't actually have a problem with the fact that a lot of this record takes a while for you to sink its teeth into to because I really like it. I really love it when it's on. I, I do. I really, really, really enjoy this record. I think Marta and Gaslight might be two of the songs that have the strongest hooks on the record. And they've been quite boldly put them on as track eight and track nine of the 10 track album. Whether that's yeah. a wrong move or a brave move, I don't know. But it's it was kind of interesting that they didn't seem particularly interested in that. But I think, I think they could 
um, bring out those hooks a little bit more without compromising on the sound and making it really like washy and wavy and echoey and delay and blah, blah, blah. It's immediately very pleasing, pleasant sound that both you and I have really, really responded to in the past, I think. Um, but I don't know how many like sing-along moments there are. Not that that's essential in no, all bands. I, uh... I think that's kind of cool. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact that it was a debut album because I mean, there's moments where, I mean, again, the, the baseline on Gaslight again is, is fucking great. Yeah. I think the bassist is the best thing about this record oh. comfortably, but they, I mean, there's a couple of songs that do pass me by a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if they just kind of were on there because, well, we need to have a full length album and this is our debut album. And I mean, I think, um, you know, there's bits of it where I think it's really cool and it sounds quite scabrous alongside and it's quite punk, quite punky. And, and there's other bits where it's like, oh, this is a much more cerebral, almost bat for lashes kind of goth, yeah, um, shimmeringy goth thing. And again, like I like both of those things a lot. I just wonder, and I, and, and again, you know, like when it's on, it sounds good. Um, it gets better with every listen. Yes. And a few times that I've listened definitely. to it, but I'm not convinced that the songwriting is is comparable to some of the better bands who make a similar type of music i think they're an interesting band and i think there's certainly a lot of potential here but i'm not sure that their songwriting as you know kind of odd be that deliberate or naturally or whatever the reason for it is i'm not quite sure that they've those hooks that you mentioned them not being there and saying oh it's okay that they're not there if they were there, I think it would make for a far better record. I'm not quite sure they've got the best songs just yet. I personally think, so I've listened to this record quite a bit more than you, I think. And I, I actually think that those hooks are there. They're just very deeply buried. And that's that could be a choice or it just could be, you know, it could be based on inexperience. I'm not sure which it is at the moment. I actually think it's interesting. I think Barry O'Sullivan, who's the bassist, is fantastic on this record. I think the star is Lizzie Fitzpatrick herself, who plays guitar and vocals. I mean, it feels like her band and her project. And I think she has potential star quality. But at the moment, you're not like... It's interesting you said yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, Fever to Tell, Fever to Yell, Fever to Tell, Fever to Tell didn't have like really obvious hooks on it. And those hooks didn't really come out until Show Your Bones, you know, the second Yeah, Yeah, Yes album. Um, And we might be looking at something a little bit like like that, bearing in mind this is Mm. a debut record. If this was their third album, I would be a lot less excited about it. But because it's their debut, I'm actually really excited about this because i see so much promise in it and i think it is really fucking cool i'm a bit of a mark for this kind of thing that sort of shoegazy wishy-washy guitar stuff um but you know i think it's really i mean comparing it to nothing hum cult dreams and holy fawn who like are you know the Mm. only the only one of those bands uh, that I'm comparing it to that had a debut was Holy Fawn. But that Holy Fawn album, as I've discussed before, I think is extraordinary. It's one of my top 20 yeah. albums of the decade. So, um, you know, that they're in pretty amazing company. I mean, Cult Dreams are on their second album, nothing on their fourth. Hum have done, I think that's, Inlet was their Fucking fourth loads, record. Yeah. Well, they've been around since the 90s. They've been around they, since so. the 90s, yeah. So so the fact that the, that's the company that I'm talking about, I think is really, really promising considering it's a debut album. I, I 
I really, really like this. I think there's really strong potential here. Apparently, I have it on good authority that live, they are phenomenal. Uh, but right, I've, not, okay. I've not had an opportunity to see them live yet. Annoying. Oh, no one will have, would they? Because of what's been going on. <laughs> <sighs> Annoying. Um, yeah, I am probably not as... I'm not going to go... I think they're definitely worth paying attention to. Yeah. And yeah. they do something which I like. Um, and you're right to say, you know, like it might be a, a stylistic choice that those... Mm those hooks are buried i don't think there are no hooks on it i just think actually mm. and again you know it's clearly um lizzie did you say her name was lizzie Fisp- fitzpatrick yeah it's clearly her band but i mm. still think man of the match is the bassist no oh, fair enough um, I and think- i think like most of the the to, for me the most kind of the bits that grab me the most are, are always the rhythmic parts as opposed to the melodic or anything else that surrounds it those Mm. rhythmic that rhythmic stuff that the bass lays down i think is really really great i like the sound of it i mean you know everyone that i've mentioned you two um yeah yeah yes uh bat for lashes Mm. um and uh susie and the banshees i mean i really like all of those artists yeah so it's not like i'm going oh this isn't very good but i think there's there's undoubtedly a lot more to come from this band than oh, this, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, get in there early and have a little listen to them. Uh, Staring at the Clocks by Bitch Falcon is out now. Uh, it's another debut album we're going to talk about now. Mountain Caller, Chronicle One, The Truth Seeker, the debut album from another young trio. This time, the sludgy sound of instrumental doom from London. Isn't Hooray. It? Yes. Hooray. Um, this is heavy. Um, I was actually <laughs> writing about mastodon for metal hammer whilst i was listening to this and i found myself at certain points going oh it's master i'm listening to mastodon <laughs> so that's got to, <laughs> well that's, that's got to be thing. quite that's got to be a good a good thing um yeah. uh, i mean broadly there aren't really many bands who make this type of music that i can hold my hand up truly and say that i really love like kind of instrumental stoner rock uh, Pelican and Russian Circles we've spoken about a lot who I mm-hmm. guess are kind of in the same ecosystem somewhere as them other than that there's not really a lot of them that I would be like whoa I love this type of music mm-hmm. so this feels like a sort of fairly hard sell for me do you know what I mean mm, okay uh, yes I understand what you're saying I think um, certainly there are doom elements in there although um I don't think it's super, super doomy. I think it's progressive instrumental, I would say. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Progressively um, instrumental metal with a sort of stoner rock bent, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to prefer to come up with my own sort of for fans ofs, but um, I did actually think the press release did a particularly good job with this one. Uh, it said, if one needs a sonic ballpark, think the infectious jamming of Elder and the dynamic cinemascapes of Mogwai underpinned by the mantric riffs of Sleep um and certainly that kind of like mantric thing i think they're really really good at giving you like a hypnotic sense of um drive to the record mm-hmm. uh it's six songs over 40 minutes and there's just some really cool dynamic playing on this album journey through the twilight desert is a really great opener 
Um, and the dynamics on display are there in full force from the beginning. Um, the difference between this dancing bass riff that L plays before the band go full throttle into a driving distorted riff around the four minute mark is absolutely monumental. And if yeah, you're... there's a there's a blast in the middle of that. Yeah, when I was like ah, because the thing like we sp- again just to cut it, we speak about Pe- when we spoke about Pelican, we were like they get one riff and they just bang the shit out of it, mm, and mm. that's why I was a bit like oh this stuff sometimes. They just fucking do the riff and it goes over and over and it might change the speed a little bit and they might slow it down. They might speed it up again or whatever, but it's just, it's really like, it's really hard to, to hold my attention for this stuff a lot. So the fact that that first song came in and I was like, oh shit, there's a blast beat and oh, you know, there's a whole load of other stuff going on. Yeah. I was like, good. Well, good I, i'm glad you're doing that yeah i don't th- and i and i don't think um i'm not i don't think you're saying that of this band in particular there's definitely bands who are guilty of like uh, laying on a riff for fucking three four minutes i mean mountain caller don't do that they they, they do no. have riffs which they'll jam around for a minute or so but like it does it does all constantly feel like it's moving and it's shifting and it's going somewhere and there's some really wicked ideas that they they use um Feast at Half Light has a wicked use of Wawa pedal um, from Claire. Claire was on our first anniversary show as well. She will probably point out. Um, and it's used, it's utilized in a way that reminded me of Adam Jones's use of the Wawa pedal on Jambi, the second uh, track on 10,000 Days. So rather than use it in that traditional kind of going back and forth on it, like Jimi Hendrix would use it, nothing wrong with using it that way, of course, she uses it more to color the tone and texture of the guitar. So you know, she'll turn the wah-wah on and kind of keep it at a particular level. And it just it's just a really nice sound and a way to use um, an effect which is very commonplace and which we hear a lot in classic rock in quite a different way, you know. Um, I'm, it, it, it's, it's not like completely and utterly original, but it is, but it, is it shows uh, a way of approaching things in a slightly different light to how a lot of people would. Mm. Um, there's an amazing, I mean, speaking of approaching things in a slightly different way to other people, there's an amazing section towards the end of that song where Claire is effectively just feedbacking her guitar through a swirl of bonkers effects whilst Elle and Max are just playing these punishing grooves underneath. Uh, and it's sort of Russian Circles-esque, but it, it kind of reminds me of the outro to Black Peaks' Hang em High a little bit as well. Oh, yeah. Um, which is very high praise indeed, but it just shows a really bold approach that you rarely see from bands on their debut album. You know, that's not something mm. that I would expect to hear from lots of bands on their debut. And I really, really like that. Really nice use of Glockenspiel on I Remember Everything, a classic post-rocket metal, metal instrument. <laughs> Lovely <laughs> yeah, stuff. Isn't it? Love a bit of Glockenspiel. You um, bloody do. <laughs> I think it is really... Uh, a wonderful beautiful moment when um you hear vocals on the record for the first time so these well the only time actually these vocals come in l um but the bassist does these vocals on a clamor of limbs and it comes so late on in the record that it's a really neat nice surprise when you hear this really quite beautiful melodious voice come in there's a slight tinge of julie christmas in her vocals Mm. i think julie christmas when she's not being like rabid but yeah yeah you know and and What's good about Clamour Limbs is it is fucking harsh. It's the harshest mm. at the start. It sounds so hard, almost like convergy harsh, I mm. think. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's it's 
really heavy and it's not kind of stone or rock heavy it's like you know savage heavy and, yeah. and then when that comes in at the end you're like oh well you actually are i mean i think sorry you were in the middle of saying something i'll get, come back to this no, in moment, okay. but well, i think that's a good point well it's 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 the the melody that she's using is almost um nursery rhyme-esque and i think the juxtaposition between that converge harshness at the beginning of that song and then it going into a nursery and i don't say nursery rhyme as a as a slight it, like, like it's a really beautiful melodious simple melody and i think that juxtaposition works really beautiful and it builds in a really really amazing way i'm very happy that they are predominantly a an instrumental band but if anything i'd actually quite like to hear um more vocals from l on future releases um i i think it's an amazing uh trick to 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 pull off when you don't hear vocals for a really really long time and then they suddenly come in um it's like 30 minutes into the album as well and the album's only 40 minutes long um but they could definitely go more in that direction i don't i don't need vocals on every single song but it i could i could definitely hear more personally of that kind yeah. of thing i mean i again i would i would say that this is very very promising I mean, yeah. I'm not really sure what more you can do with a bass, a drum kit and a guitar that hasn't already been done in that style at this point. Mm. And that's sort of when I was like, well, I mean, what I, I you kind of get albums like this and you go, well, I, I pretty much feel like I know exactly what I'm going to get. And to get surprised at all once on a record like that is I think it's quite rare. Yeah. So to get a lot of surprises on it is really rare. I mean, like I say, most of this shit has already been done and you just and you do think like well what else can you possibly find from this but it's certainly worth searching for and i absolutely applaud mountain caller for at the very least trying to search for something because a lot of these bands you know a lot of people won't give a shit they like who like pelican or whatever they'll go well i want another baby pelican or i just yeah. want like big fucking riffs and why should they like big riffs are big and big riffs are necessary in the world and that's fine but i like to have something a bit more than that and i think it's good that they are i mean i think if, if this is their first go at searching for something different Quite. within that genre yeah. i think they might end up finding something really really good at some point exactly and I, it's 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 particularly showing the willingness to do that on your debut that i think is particularly yeah. exciting because by the time they get around to the third one they might uh, like really find a truly um individualistic voice one more thing i want to say on it is um i really like instrumental three pieces where it really feels like you get a, a proper showcase of all three members of the band that's something that i think is really good about instrumental three pieces and mountain caller it feels like this is very much a democratic um you know 33% 33% 33% band every uh, every member has a moment where they really really shine on the album and i think that is a really really important piece of the puzzle and i think they should definitely keep that going um as they progress in their career i really really like this i think it's more my kind of thing than it is your sort of thing but i think it's a really really strong promising debut hmm. I, I i agree i do uh it's called the truth seeker uh by mountain caller and it is out now. Well, it's actually called Chronicle One, The Truth Seeker, but the truth is 
anyway um, <laughs> it's out now uh, let's move on to our last album uh, this be the verse deny all the second album from the UK rock band rock band I mean I don't know very much about this band I have been sent their bio though oh this is a good bio who wrote that it's really good oh it was Renfrey Renfrey wrote the bio uh, this is why you love bio so much this is why you bum bios is because you write them and you can't bear to think of someone like me going I'm not fucking reading that <laughs> Um, I do write quite a few bios. It's a nice way to make a little bit of money on the side. Um, I mean, very beautiful prose in that bio, I think you'll find. Uh, do you want to review the bio very quickly, Steve? Uh, was it your idea to put the Oscar Wilde thing at the start? Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah. What, what yeah. else? What else? Yeah. Um, no, it's fine. It's, it's good, fine. actually. It's better than... <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Have you actually read it's... it? I've skim read it. <laughs> good, I've good. Skim... I've skimmed it. I know, I kind of, I, I sort of just picked, I was like, okay, Extinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, WikiLeaks, hashtag take a knee, hatred, uh, yep, uh, megalomania, fascist tyrant. Yep, good, got it. I've got. I think. I think I've got it. And then 1984, the wall, year mm-hmm. zero, mm-hmm. wicked. Um, I get it. I know what it is. So cool. this is some sort of. Um, uh, I find it quite hard to uh, to actually like musically. We should um, talk about them in a minute, but um, this is basically a a kind of a, a narrative structured record. Correct. It's a concept album. Yeah. Yeah, it's concept that, That's a, that's what they usually call it, rather than what I, whatever it was I just called it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you were pussyfooting around it, but yes, that's what that's because well, that's is. what you've called it in the press release. You've called it a multi-led, semi-autobiographical narrative across nine songs. <laughs> I mean, that is a, a concept be- album. That is a beautifully constructed sentence. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> ah, yeah. Um. um yeah, it's, uh, well, I, I can quote from the bio because it's uh, such beautiful prose. Uh, the strangely <laughs> prophetic story at the heart of denial is set in an alternate reality where a struggling musician is forced underground when a totalitarian government comes to power led by a corrupt megalomaniacal fascist tyrant. I do like long words. Forced into a hiding <laughs> by a government intent on destroying any semblance of free speech, our protagonist forms an underground cultural resistance that rises up to suppress the regime. Uh, using masks to hide their identity, they take steps to overthrow the corrupt regime even though by doing so the protagonist realizes they are walking into certain death okay so it's, it's one of them records basically one of them records um the, yeah you could evoke the war you could evoke year zero burn nine inch nails i think the manufacture the manufacture uh operation, do the one about the computers do the one about the robots operation mind crime by uh, mm-hmm. uh queensrike even you know if you want to mm-hmm. go into that sort of thing um yeah, I think this be the verse are broadly a rock band. There's a lot of industrial elements. Um, I don't yes. think I don't I I think it's still okay to kind of say there's a, there's a big Nine Inch Nails influence. I think that's fair enough. But mm-hmm. um, well, the the opening song comes in like filter getting buggered by Nine Inch by Queens of Stone Age. Mm. It just shimmies in slinky riff. I love the the riff's great. Mm. Shimmies in like a little slinky, cool motherfucker. Really, really good. Like I do at a party. No, 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 no. Uh, really? Do you, I, I have never seen you slinkily shimmy anywhere ever. Are you I'm kidding not me? Saying you, I'm not saying you haven't. 
I'm just saying, if you have, you have done it as far away from me as possible. I'd, I'd say I'm a slinky shimmerer myself, but you know. Whatever. Mate, I used to remember when I lived in London and I would, and you were late, inevitably always late, coming around my house and I would look out the window and I would see you like, <laughs> if, I a, if I had a tuba, I could have gone. <laughs> 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 what are you? <laughs> Walking down the road. <laughs> <laughs> That's annoyingly accurate. Oh dear. <clears throat> Um, yes, uh, back to this. Oh, I miss those days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go on. Sorry. So, um, I think, yes, I, I think there is an undoubtedly a big sort of Nine Inch Nails kind of connection with this kind of thing. But, you know, when you say Nine Inch Nails, what could that mean? I mean, there's a sort of industrial base, but then it goes into lots of different things, this album, doesn't it? Um, I think that script of the first song is brilliant. I really love the second song, All This Red. It's an absolute rager of an album the verses uh are are really like stompy but then it goes into Mm. this really luscious 80s inflected chorus um Mm. which is really melodious and almost i mean cure-esque it would sound good it it sounds like the sort of thing that should be getting played out of the speakers of a main stage of a festival absolutely i mean yeah. It would sound good on that. That is main stage festival music. Yeah. I mean, this is, I wouldn't say that this record is particularly musically uh, challenging and or progressively minded. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it's a, a what, like it's just a big sounding rock record. Those riffs are big and they sound cool. Electronic sounding. Riff. Again, the bass, I'm fucking loving the bass this mm-hmm. week. There's loads of great bass lines on this. Um, that song, All This Red, has a bunch of kind of scared person rhetoric about people on the other side of the tracks. Like, it's not even safe to go out to eat. One of the lines is Pete, something about people on bikes. Is that scary, people on bikes? Is it? Uh, BMX, uh, BMX I, bandits? I didn't pick up on that line, scary. I have to say. Yeah. There are people on bikes. And I was like, oh, that's all right. I'm just on bikes. I don't know. Right. I don't Good know. God, Lance Armstrong's coming. Run! <laughs> is it mentioned in the bio? Because um, that's the no, important. That's the holy grail uh, no, no, for no, this no. record. But I, I liked. Uh, but that song was really good. Um, I mean, and then it goes to hate peddlers, which is mm. a really, which is basically about fuck. I felt like that was a kind of allegorical look at the Daily Mail and those kind of arseholes. Yeah, and that has got a well kind of broken era Nine Inch Nails fury to it, which I very much enjoyed. Absolutely. I was going to say it sounds like Ministry fucking the damned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm into it. I like, I like it. to see that. Um, <laughs> Al Jurgensen uh, fucking Captain Sensible. I say, that wouldn't be very sensible of him at all, would it? Um, uh, the, again, the, the baseline, the Rat Race has got a massive baseline. That's a big old bit of Death from Above 1979 as well. Uh, you, That's got that kind of sleazy 1979 thing. And lyrically, it's quite dosy dreams as well. Get me out of that rat race. Mm. Talking about like, fuck your job, bin it off. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. be part of this shitty society. Yeah, I liked it. There's a, there's, a, there's a really massive two, like that bass riff is just two notes, you know. And yeah, Death from Above is a really good shout. But the, mm. just just those two notes, it's so kind of hooky. Like I, I suppose when you say that there isn't kind of like it's quite it's a relatively the 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 hooks are an important thing for this record you yeah. know it's obvious that um it's important that the songs stick in your head and it doesn't become get ever get too subversive or too kind of weird or strange mm. but but it's undeniably like really 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 hooky throughout 
Um, I think The Reason is a great final track to play things out as well. It's kind of more of a melodious kind of thing. But um, yes, um, I mean, I just want to say in terms of like, there, there's a bit of that harsh horn in in failure. And I was like, okay, oh, so yeah. there is a bit, there is a bit of like, you're not just, it's not, I don't want to give the impression that there's nothing to it apart from just big riffs. But I think it's a fairly straight head rock record, which is more interested in big riffs and ideas and yeah. sounding huge. But that doesn't mean that it's not, crafted or well created there's a great bass line again on sinner um yeah that last song the reason um they steal the start of around the fur that and then i mean i have to say i don't mean this is an insult at all but it's the most blatant new order ripoff i've heard in i not i don't again i don't have a problem with it but it's the most blatant new order ripoff i've heard ever which song um I was just just, <laughs> just just in general, just in general. Okay, okay. Uh, like it sounds exactly the same as New Order, but that's that's fine mm-hmm. because nothing yeah. else on the record has. So yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. New quite. Order are great. You reminded me. I wanted to talk about a failure because um, wh- whilst it is quite a straight ahead record, my favourite part is when it surprises me. I mean, my favourite part about a lot of music is when it surprises me, but it has that sax breakdown on failure which just comes in with a sax just going absolutely apoplectically crazy and it really comes out of nowhere it's really unexpected and i think that's when this album and this band are at their best when they chuck something at me where i go oh wow i really wasn't expecting that that is really really interesting um i think i don't ever want to fault ambition and i don't ever want to um sort of say uh I don't ever want to like pull people down for being ambitious, but the cornerstones of like what this record was attempting to kind of be. I mean, I do know through um, speaking to them about um, uh, the album for the bio that year zero was a massive, massive um, influence on this record. And it would be difficult to say that it quite has as much depth as something like year zero or the wall or, or even operation mind crime. Um, and I think part of that is down to this is actually a really, really short record. It's 32 minutes and 42 seconds. Yeah. And it is very, very rare that I say this. But if anything, it feels like it could have had a bit more to it. I mean, it kind of ends and then I'm like, oh, is that it? I kind of wanted a little bit more than that. It's been four years mm. between this album and the first one. And there were, you know, numerous problems trying to get this made and so on and so forth and lack of budget and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I do uh, sympathise and empathise to an extent with all of those issues. But in terms of like bringing this grand concept to life, um it's you know i mean originally there was hopes of turning this into some sort of feature and i don't know if there'd really be enough of a of a skeleton to build on for that to happen i don't know i have no idea but it feels fairly bare bones um from that perspective but i don't think ambition in the main is something that should be quelled uh, and you no. can hear that this be the verse are wanting to do much more than just be sort of industrial copycats. If you compare them to say Three Teeth, that band, who, yeah. you know, and I, I really enjoyed that Three Teeth record. I think you did as well. But, you, you know, <laughs> it, it, it 
three teeth do it sound just, derivative. It just sounded yeah. as derivative as fuck. Yeah. And it and, and it sounded like one type of thing. Yes. As well. Yes. I mean I mentioned and although you can go, yes, industrial rock, that's what this is. Um I I was there were bits of it where I was going, I'm not actually entirely sure if if this is I mean, I mentioned New Order, I mentioned Night Nails, obviously. Yeah. We mentioned Ministry, I'd put Unsane in there as well. Okay. Yeah. Um Filter I mentioned as well, and Death Queens Tones. of the Stone Age. Yeah. Deftones as well. I mean, they're a bit like do you remember Manbreak? Manbreak were like they're not rap metal or rap rock, but they had rap in it and they had rock in it as well. Mm, you probably I don't, don't remember. remember. Manbreak, no, nobody really does. Um but they were a band from Liverpool and they were sort of like they said they like the British Rage Against the Machine for a little bit, but they were just nothing like that at all. They were more like a kind of Britpop band with heavier guitars and some rapping. And you listen to it and you're like, yeah, yeah, I kind of know what all of this sounds like, but it didn't sound like any of the other things. I don't think, I think Nine Inch Nails, you can definitely hear yeah. the Nine Inch Nails influence on it a lot. But I mentioned New Order. Don't really sound like New Order, apart mm. from when they mm. deliberately try and sound like New Order. Um, and they don't sound like Death and Above 1979, mm. apart from mm. that bit mm. where they do sound like Death and Above 1979. So they're a weird, and really neither of those bands are industrial rock bands. Like yes, New Order no, that's are, true. Are a, are a, you know, a kind of post-punk band and Death from 1979 are sort of a, uh, well, an electronic garage rock thing yeah yeah no that's absolutely true actually i think what i would say is this record maybe has a foundation in industrial yeah but it does go out into yeah. other things and um, whereas that three teeth record was you know quick pretty <laughs> derivative even if it Just, was quite fun um, yeah make, I, make me sound like rob zombie now <laughs> i'd say <laughs> i'd say that this album more wears its influences on its sleeve rather than being derivative because there are there there yeah. is a difference between those two things um but I it's agree. very very good i really hope that um the third album doesn't take 4 years to make uh because i think i think this be the verse do deserve a lot more um uh praise than they have got and a lot more kind of uh notices than they have got um their first album is is absolutely killer as well if you've mm. not heard that one self-titled record i haven't brilliant. actually heard that when yeah. did that come out 2016 2016 yeah right okay no i haven't heard it but i do i mean i knew, I knew the name but that's all i knew really i do remember this record coming out um they, or i do remember them sort of coming out but they have think. there's a song on that album called consequences which is fucking amazing um yeah great really really well i'll yeah. have a little listen to that as well yeah, yeah i like this out of the three that we've done the sort of less well-known artists that we've done or the sort of younger artists that we've mm-hmm. done uh this is my favorite of those three i would say interesting okay so there you go denial by this be the verse is out now and that's the end of the show next week we will be back um with actuk i believe that's <laughs> how you say it yeah uh, ac yeah. <laughs> are back um not in the studio we... with us no yeah they're gonna be here um <laughs> And probably some more Scandinavian bands, I imagine. I don't actually know. Uh, go over to signaturebrew.co.uk and give our friends some love. Order yourself some beer for this lockdown period um, and enjoy that because they're very, very tasty indeed. Riot Act in the checkout for 10% off. Get yourself a pub and go over to patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast and have a little listen to our Beastie Boys special, which is up there now as well. We would appreciate that if you did that. That's, uh, that's very, very nice of you. Um, other than that, See you later.